What what I find interesting is I look at all the I'm like looking on Wikipedia at like all the various Halloween sequels and like Jamie Lee Curtis has not been able to get away from this franchise. Nope. Because she's been oh, in like they, five of the sequels. Considering the fact that she has died like th- canonically like three times in the franchise and is still around, like because like they've killed Laurie Strode multiple times because she's wanted to get away from the franchise and keeps having to come back. Uh Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's back in black. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, this is episode 247. We are all back together, and we are going to be talking about the new uh, Black Templars release. Uh, Games Workshop was kind enough to provide us with a copy of the Black Templars Army box. And so we're going to take a look at the... uh, Black Templar's uh, supplement contained therein, which is not available for general audiences yet, probably sometime later in November. But before we get to that, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, we've actually had some interesting bits of news and uh, some new releases. Uh, well, not, I don't think there's, I don't know if there's any new stuff that's been released in the intervening weeks, but there have been new things that are up for either up for pre-order or have just been announced because yesterday, October 30th, was Warhammer Day. By the way, happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, this will probably get to you before Halloween, but we're recording on Halloween, so spooky. Do you mean after? No, we're recording on no. Halloween. No, it's going to time dilate, and this after. episode will be released before <laughs> Halloween. Okay. We're going to fold space and time. Yeah. Did I say before Halloween? You did. It's fine. (laughs) Ah, man. (laughs) It's a day. (laughs) Time is a wibbly wobbly flat circle, so I'm just going to go with that. Jeremy bear me. (laughs) Jeremy bear me. We've all seen the time knife. (sighs) <sighs> ah, but anyway, um, so uh, we've talked before about uh, Kill Team Chalnath, the upcoming first expansion for Kill Team that was going to add Sisters of Battle and Tau to the Kill Team special models roster. And uh, along with that, we were actually going to get uh, a new Sisters unit called the Sisters Novitiates. Uh, now, uh, uh, just a few days ago just about three days ago they released the data sheet for 40k for novitiates and i'm going to be right up front and say this sealed the deal which is why i pre-ordered the child death box yesterday yeah (laughs) when i saw the data sheet for this yeah well no i was bad i was also warhammer day so like i pre-ordered the premier's lieutenant with storm shield but Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) but uh no the the child death box uh Looks great. I mean, I play Tau, theoretically. Yeah, haven't for a while because, you know, Tau. But they also did reveal that Tau are getting their codex early next year. Woohoo! Yeah, it was in the article where they just mentioned, oh, yeah, by the way, their codex is coming. You know, don't worry, their codex is coming soon. Um, and I believe they said, believe they said early. I don't think they gave a specific date or anything. I think it was in the Novitiates one because they got to the end. It's like, here's the, the 
40k link for the novitiates um don't worry your you there's no updated there's no updated uh data sheet for pathfinders they'll just be in the codex okay so here yeah here's the here's the actual quote from the novitiates article so the novitiates article it's all things to all people on the tau right. side the the snazzy upgraded Pathfinders can be used as a normal unit in your Tau army. Their kit won't remain ornamental for long, though. Brand new options for Pathfinders will be arriving in an upcoming codex. In fact, Firecast commanders among you will be excited to discover it's one of the first new codexes coming in 2022. Woo! And uh, so that's good news for, for Tau players like myself. But for Sisters players also like myself, the Novitiates are an... Uh, like, it's a data sheet that kind of fills a gap that I, you know, that several, that at least two of us have felt that like has been right. missing in, in the army. And like, we've talked about like, w- you know, we want like Imperial cultists or frater mil- militia or, fr- or fraternal militia yeah. or something like that back. And the novitiates fill that gap pretty well, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, they can be taken, they can be taken as like just a cheap, you know, auto pistol, auto gun, uh, you know, cultist unit to just hold objectives. They can be kitted out with melee weapons, uh, and flamers. Like, they, they, yeah, I, I'm excited. It's, there's a ton of flexibility with this kit and they fill a battlefield role different than what your normal battle sisters unit does. It just gives so much more flexibility to the army. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, they, like, there's a few things about them that I think are going to make them, especially for, like, Bloody Rose, which is one of the most popular orders to play right now. I think they're a fantastic fit for that. Um, so they start out at one attack base, two for the Novitiate Superior. And they're already got a better stat line than Cultists because mm-hmm. weapon skill four, ballistic skill three, and a four-up armor save, leadership seven, eight on the Superior. So they're already a more solid unit than Cultists. And then on top of that, they have all the standard sister stuff, Acts of Faith, Sacred Rites, Shield of Faith. So they're rocking a four up, six up, which is also not bad for a cheap troop unit. And with the ability to theoretically uh, deny psychic powers. And then on top of that, they've got impetuous fervor each time this unit fights. If it made a charge move this turn, then until the fight is resolved, add one to the attacks characteristic of all models in this unit. So, we've got a unit that's one attack base, two on the charge. In addition, every novitiate, every sister novitiate in the squad can have their autogun replaced with novitiate melee weapons, which give them the chainsword treatment of an extra attack every time they fight with that weapon. And at Mm -hmm. plus one strength. So, strength four, three attacks on the charge. And then if you play Bloody Rose, four attacks on the charge. So, this unit can come rocking out like basically a blender yeah no I th- they're very similar um to like what the repentia do where like yeah i mean obviously they're not going to be as strong because the repentia have specifically the eviscerator chain swords but like you know repentia come out lightly armored with just a bunch of attacks and that's kind of what these are going to f- you know they're going to feel like a a dime store version of those um, while also but less being fragile able to be too. right, being but, but being less fragile because they're not gonna, they're not going to hit as hard, but they're going to be able to you know last a little bit longer, and with the flexibility to run them a completely different way and have them you know just set back and take pop shots with auto guns like I, that's super cool to me. <laughs> are they set at ten or can they do a five to ten? They are set at ten right now. 
Okay, so Blast will still be a problem for them. Sure. Th- it will be, yeah. But Blast is generally a problem for, like, Repentia and Cultists yeah. and stuff like that, too, so. Also, uh, one thing to note is they are a core unit, so they mm-hmm. will benefit from all the auras and things that affect core units. Uh, in fact, the Warhammer Community article pointed out that they can be targeted by Holy Rage, which gives them either Zealot or Fanatic. Zealot let says that when they make a melee attack, if they charged or were charged or performed a heroic intervention, they can reroll the attacks. So you can give them full rerolls on the attacks. Or Fanatic, they can charge in a turn in which they fell back. So they're like just a really theoretically solid, flexible assault unit. And they can take the Sacred Banner, which is just yep. like the one the Zephyrim have, where they can reroll advance and charge rolls. Well, and then I, I kind of like what they get with the uh, Semilacrum Imperialis. Again, like, they can just do another act of faith, even if another unit's already performed it. Like, that's awesome. Like, they have a bunch of really good, flexible options. And I think they can be I, – I, I think they can be used in a number of different ways. And I think that's great. Yeah. Like, for example, let's say you wanted – and depending on how you build them, like, you can build them stock at 75 points, just use them as that shooty unit to sit on a back objective and hold it. Or you can, uh, if you, let's say you decide to add a power sword to the superior and a sacred banner. Now they're 85 points, but, and you, you can swap out all their melee, you know, all their guns for melee weapons for free. So for 85 points, you have a very capable close combat unit. You could go 95 if you wanted to throw a couple of flamers in there. Um, yeah, it's like you've just got a very, very flexible, like light troop unit that mm-hmm. the sisters have not had. Cause the sisters have basically had one troops choice for a very long time. And while the venerable battle sister squad is a, is a good unit as it is having another option is, is also good, but they've also kind of future proofed it a bit by giving it the same treatment we've seen for death guard, like cultists and pox walkers right. and same thing at thousand suns where you can't take more, novitiates in a detachment than you have battle sister squads so they want you to focus on battle sister squads and then you can put in a cup like one or two of these inexpensive or you know these inexpensive troop units to keep you yeah. from spamming them no i like it yeah no i'm i'm really happy with novitiates and like i said it sealed the deal for me for because like before it's like okay there's this new unit they've been designed for kill team it's like are they going to be playable in 40k what are they going to be like in 40k will i hold off and get this or not and when they revealed the data sheet like i'm like okay this weekend i'm going to go pre-order the box and and because it also includes the the uh sanctum imperialis terrain that they don't really make anymore Mm mm-hmm I'm just like, there's nothing in this box I won't use because I'll use the new Pathfinder stuff. I'll use the Novitiates. I'll use the terrain. I will use every part of the Buffalo. So that that was a personally happy thing for me. And then on top of that, we had Warhammer Day yesterday, which brought a new set of reveals. Now, it did cover the breadth of all of the different properties that uh, Games Workshop manages. So there was Age of Sigmar, Warcry underworlds blood bowl but for 40k we had our reveal of what the last two codexes for the year are and that they're getting a battle box to pit these two forces against each other and it is uh adeptus custodes versus gene stealer cults hooray two armies 
that I don't need more models for. <laughs> except, there's, except there's new models that I can just wait until they release them individually. <laughs> yeah. They but, are kind of- it, but it is exciting that they are getting new codexes. Yeah, the codex yeah, is sure. definitely the part I liked, and I like that in the codex for Custodes, sisters are going to be there. So Sisters of Silence, not Sisters of Battle. Right. And <laughs> and prominently featured on the cover of the Codex too. So Yeah. Like yeah, they they're rolling all the talents in the Emperor into one book. And uh which I mean is basically bringing along the what they did in War of the Spider, but yeah. Yeah. And then uh Gene Steeler cults are going to get they said a bunch of new tricks like the ability to ambush out of uh out of hiding and get bonuses on shooting attacks as well as like, you know, being able to assault from like very, very close up. And yeah, we're getting a new character for them in the form of a reductus saboteur, which I like. One thing I dig about her is the multiple head choices where there's like the normal mm-hmm. head. And then there's the one where obviously the explosion went off too close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. Well, and they described a little bit in the, uh, in the preview they didn't go into like all the details, but basically before the like she she's basically gonna get like um a ranged attack of like just like oh yeah, I mined the field beforehand, so yeah, that unit over there, I'm gonna make a ranged attack against them because that's a bomb going off. So it's kind of sounds like it's gonna be like a mini orbital strike that's just gonna be like her attack. Um which is kinda cool. So that you can just, you know, uh, reach out and and touch some of these units that you know as they as they advance across the board like um i don't know i just i find that kind of a neat mechanic depending depending on obviously how it works <laughs> right and of course there's the the other thing about all this is the fluff that's been revealed about why these two forces are fighting and where they're fighting yeah. and it's not good for anyone yeah <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the trailer, like the thumbnail for the trailer is danger beneath the throne, <laughs> which right there, that's bad news. Yeah, no, the uh, they as they described in the uh, in the trailer and then in the preview, uh, basically they have found a gene stealer cult directly underneath the imperial palace. Uh, so the custodes are like, oh crap, we got to go deal with that. Um, which I think is amazing and one of the best like plot twist plot advancements like since um you know uh gosh what was the name of that campaign where they brought Gilliam back um Gathering Storm The Gathering Storm yeah like it th- this has the potential to change so much cuz I mean obviously like it's not going to happen right away but like you know, if the Imperial throne is and the Emperor himself is, like, under threat, like, how does that play into all of the other story threads that are going on? Like, that's, I don't know, I think that's super cool. <laughs> also, doesn't a Gene Steeler cult usually go into, like, full action as a hive fleet nears the yes. planet? Yes. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> that's also a bad indicator. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it just tells me Tyrion has must have discovered stealth for the whole fleet not to be noticed. Well, the thing is, is that the Tyranids, they pop up like they can circumnavigate and like 
this is just a, a tendril that's coming in at a different angle on the galactic plane. Yeah. Yeah. And so they just kind of pop in and they're there. See, the Imperium has a lot of yeah. 2D thinking in the theory, and the Tyranids are playing 4D chess. <laughs> yeah, yep. thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> so, so yeah, this this could be a very bad sign of what what's to come, uh, plot yeah. wise. So it'll be interesting to like. This is a box I totally won't order because I don't play either of these armies, but I'm curious to see what what people report about the the fluff novel. I mean, like the little booklet contained inside, because yeah. I, I do want to hear how this reads. Uh, we probably won't hear how it resolves, but what it's gearing to towards and, and what hints we get. Yeah, I, I think I'm like you there. I'm curious, but I tried to get the person down here that I'm friends with in Dallas who plays Tyranids. He'd say, do you want the other half? He's like, no, I don't care about Gene Steeler cults. I just want Tyranids. I'm like, oh, okay. So... It, once again, it's not needing the whole box. I'll probably have to wait to see what the story happens online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the the two new the other character the blade the blade champion uh, I'm sure awesome. will be released independently in three to six months so, after the box oh, yeah. comes out. Definitely, I'm a bit confused about that character though because I thought custodes had to be in a static pose. I, I didn't think you could actually have them <laughs> moving, um, and this. This just like changes everything now. I'm like, wait a minute. They can, they can actually run. They can not just stand the, the, the stoic and defensive. Cap- <laughs> captured the dark Eldar a modeler so they can start stealing their poses. Well, the uh, flip side will be he'll only have a three up armor save because mo- not standing stoically <laughs> is, you know, what gives right. you that better. I mean, look, he's obviously uh, lighter armor that light has lighter armor than most custodes. So that is true. That is true. <laughs> But no, I really, I really dig the model. I think it's really cool to see him see one in motion like that. <laughs> yeah, remember when I was putting together the Forge World um, Custodes Dreadnought? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is so cool because every joint is a different thing you can put on there, so you can pose it however you want. And the end, the only way I could make it stand up because I am bad at posing was yeah, stand up straight, holding the spear, touching the ground, and like the stoic yeah. pose. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So. So yeah, well, it, it's not just them that are bad at the modeling part. <laughs> one one thing that I love though, if you read like the the art the fluff in the article about the uh, the blade champion, they're like he's got this gigantic two handed custodes broadsword. It's so cool, and I'm like, dude, that's like smaller than the sword that normal custodes get. <laughs> the one that they one hand that also has bolter and flamer are attached. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a cool looking model, and I and I like the fact that they have a a another HQ option. I think that's very good for them. So <laughs> I like it. I just I just like making fun of it because like they're like it's so cool. He's got this gigantic sword. And I'm like that sword looks smaller than the one that they just normally wield. <laughs> maybe it's the foreshortening from the angle we're seeing, right? right. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, you know he's special because he's traded the top knot for a mohawk. <laughs> True. Mohawk does look better. And the mohawk looks pretty awesome. I uh, prefer so, the top knot. <laughs> but I think that pretty much covers us as far as the the new things for 40K that have been announced. Um, actually, uh-huh. as a quick aside, one thing they did mention for on Warhammer Day, uh, 
not specifically 40k related, but kind of 40k related. Angels of Death on Warhammer Plus, the second half of the season will start next week, I believe, and they showed a little preview clip of the the second half of the first season. And then they also, as part of Warhammer Day, and I believe you have a few more days to access it, they put a yeah, it's it's available through the seventh of November. Um, they put out a a code for two free weeks of Warhammer Plus, um, and it's on the community website. If you are new and haven't tested out Warhammer Plus, you can get it for two weeks to try it and binge the episodes. If you are already signed up for Warhammer Plus and you put that code in, it'll extend your subscription for two weeks. So anybody gets two weeks free. So uh, I think that's worth calling out. And then, like I said, Angels of Death will... Uh, will come back this week. So, um, which that's easily been my favorite show so far on Warhammer plus. Interestingly that on that Warhammer plus code, if you have Apple subscription for your, it's the way that you signed up. Like I did, you actually Mm -hmm. have to go in and fill out a, like a Google doc and send it into them. And they will send you a a unique code that you can redeem on the Apple Store, and still huh. yeah, that's kind of weird. The, it's that's why I just signed up directly. <laughs> but at least yeah. they're providing that workaround, even if yeah. it is a bit of a clumsy workaround. Yeah. Uh, so, so one thing I I I just noticed because I I was looking at this to see if there was anything else we missed. Eight ways to celebrate Warhammer Day with a little help from our friends, like celebrate off the tabletop. And I'm scrolling through and it's like, okay, so they're releasing, a, there's a official new 2022 calendar and the, they've got the new escape room that they set up in Nottingham. Right. Uh, they've, you know, pushing the various role-playing games they have, including Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th, which is, I'm glad they're still really acknowledging and leaning into the old world too. So that's good. Yeah. But then number four on the list, experience. Add some atmosphere to your games with Merchoid's range of Warhammer 40,000 scented candles. Inhale the smells of Catechin Death World. Or distract your opponents with the scent of the Great Devourer. (laughs) I am rolling my eyes very hard. Oh, but they have a Slanesh scented candle. It's, no. it's not a terrible idea. Like, okay, scented candles are fine and like atmospheric and like kind of a cool thing. But like, there's a lot of smells in the 40k universe that I don't need to experience. No. <laughs> like, thank God there's not a Nurgle's rot candle. Cause, so, so the, the, there are five cents, or no, there are six, six cents. They only show five of them here. Um, the, so the five they show are Slanesh Soporific Musk, the scent of delusion. Astra Militarum Catechan Potpourri, the scent of Death World. Um, Space Marines Dark Angels Tallow, the scent of faith. Tau Ethereal Pheromones, the scent of expansion, which I don't see that I, one kind of I bothers do. me more than the Slanesh one. <laughs> see, I do like that one, but I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> just for some reason you smell it and you're like for some you know, whatever reason, you say man for some reason that one always puts me in a good agreeable mood <laughs> and then the final one is tyranid toxicrine spores the scent of the great devourer so one of these will just fucking kill you <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, they say six, but they, even the website no, that only... sells these only says five. Only shows yeah, five. there's only so five listed been... on the website, so I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm crazy enough to try one out, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I don't. I, I might pass on that though. <laughs> Although if you cl- if you click the link to that uh, Merchoid dot com store there are like a bunch of like 40k like knit sweaters for like ugly christmas sweaters and a few of them are kind of awesome <laughs> like the sisters of battle one is is actually pretty cool i was i was looking at them like mm, yeah but not for 55 but i already have my mary sithmas right one, so i'm i'm good but yeah. but i'm like am i curious just curious enough to try out like a, the slanesh candle it, to to be fair the the candles are twenty two ninety nine plus whatever shipping is. If they were ten, yeah, I would be willing to test those out. <laughs> I don't know that I'm willing to spend twenty five bucks on a on a on a lark though. But um, you know, I mean, if it were if people like it, then good on you. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. The, I mean, if you wanted to buy a similar candle from uh like yankee candle they're like 20 something dollars so it's you know all right fair enough it's it's honestly not that far off yeah it it's i mean i'm still not saying you should (laughs) (laughs) if you like 40k and you like candles this is for you yeah yeah this is this is definitely a product for a niche audience to be sure Okay, I'm a bit bothered by the fact that there's a note on the on the Slanesh candle that says this product is selling fast. Yeah, that <laughs> that's the one that concerns me, honestly. Like I don't know that I need to know what Slanesh smells like. <laughs> um there's less than ten Tau Ethereal candles left. So they well, only made sense. a they only made a small number of them. <laughs> they made eleven. Uh, less than know. 10 toxicrine <laughs> so apparently some people that yeah all of these say currently less than 10 available so don't know if accurate or if uh that's yeah. just marketing the ploy. site just a marketing ploy but, but that's uh, oh you can also get the nurgling plushie on here <laughs> <laughs> sorry okay it, it's yeah. not scented is it <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of want, I kind of want a squig plushie, but I don't, I don't need more like bric-a-brac. I don't think <laughs> right now. I did buy one piece of bric-a-brac yesterday. I, I had, I had shared it on the on our Facebook page, so I felt vaguely obligated when i saw that they actually had the chaos christmas stocking at our local warhammer store nice that i i went ahead and bought that so so i will have i have a i have my chaos christmas stocking so gonna put my money where my mouth is <laughs> but uh but anyway we're gonna move from there on to listener mail as always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air at the end of the segment. Um, we've got two today. Uh, first one is from Samuel Green. Samuel writes, Hi, preferred enemies. Sam from London here. 
How does the crew feel about Forge World models and armies, especially in competitive scenes? I'm a late bloomer in 40k, forged in the age of plastic, so the thought of resin scares the bejesus out of me, but also the balance for Forge World units feels a little overtuned, perhaps? Should I stop worrying and learn to love the Forge World, or is there something to my disdain? Cheers, Sam. Uh, this has been an argument that's gone on for years. I the think the answer community, to this and still one does. is yes. Just, is just there yes. something to his disdain? No, just yes for the whole thing. Because um, I remember back when we yeah. were just got into the game, Forge World was this mythic thing that only a few people might have. Because it was, you had to either go to Gen Con or order it mail order. Mm-hmm. And there was not much of it around. And so... Yeah, we were like, no, we just want to play with what we got because there's still a lot more plastic out there we didn't have. Well, um, and the the rule, the balance on Forge World rules up until recently, and some will even say even recently, uh, was not there. Like they, it was, it was definitely like in fifth edition or whatever, like and and like early sixth. It was basically, oh yeah, I'm paying to win. Like I buy this, you know. Uh, I'm trying to even think, you know, this special Forge World Knight that I paid 300 bucks for, and it's just better in every single way for fewer points in a regular night. They've done right. away it's with not most of now. that balance. Yeah, those balance yeah. issues. So, But I-, I will say, dip your toe into the Forge World, especially if there's a cool model you mm-hmm. like. Because I remember Games Day when we went, that was probably... Our- one of the biggest highlights I had was buying Forge World for the first time and yeah. then having it to take it home. Um, dealing with resin is, isn't as bad as, as it just. Yeah. I mean, there's a little more precautions it, to take, but. Yeah. If you've it. never done it before, it can be daunting to start off with. But I've I found that of all of the like forge world like resin models that I have had I've actually never sanded or filed any of them hmm. I have always made do with clippers and hobby knife yeah and have been able you have to be real careful with hobby knife obviously but I have managed to <laughs> be able to get good results with just those tools and that like really limits any amount of like dust yeah that I might encounter so well, that's um, actually my kind of what I've and I've just recently started getting more forge world stuff and that's kind of the what I have taken to doing with with my models. Loctite Professional Superglue is really good and really, yes. you know, it, you do have to hold it a little bit longer because it's not like plastic glue. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't dry immediately, but it's thin enough that you can get it into places. You can kind of use it to fill if you need to, but it holds really well. So, you know, I, I've... I would say of the group, I probably have the most experience with Forge World. And unless you get into the bigger models, like anything bigger than like a Dreadnought, you don't really have to worry about warping or gaps or any of that stuff. 
the the figure models and the upgrades that they've done and like the character models are usually top notch. Like they're usually really good. As Richard said, clippers, you know, and and maybe a little bit of filing, but you know, it's it's really not drastically different than working with plastic. When you get above that and you start getting into like the bigger tanks, the knights, your thunderhawks and stuff like that, yeah, you're going to run into more issues because resin warps like if you have big pieces of it um it can definitely warp um and you might have to do gap filling and things like that there are a bunch of really good like youtube tutorials on how to work with resin the key thing that i would say is wash everything you know just hot water and soap Soap and water uh, absolutely you know wash everything dry it dry fit everything before you start gluing because the the one thing about the Forge World like Dreadnought kits, for example, is and and Dennis mentioned this earlier. It is they are like a bunch of tiny pieces that you can uh, fit to pose and do all these things, you know, and and get really cool dynamic poses in theory. But you're gonna have to dry fit because you're gonna have to know exactly how this piece clips to this piece and how that fits with that. So just take your time when you're working with resin. I would definitely start small. You know, upgrade kits, infantry units, maybe a dreadnought, but don't go anything bigger than that until you kind of get comfortable working with resin. And then um, when you get ready to do the big pieces, uh, there's a really great episode of uh, Independent Characters where they talk about an infamous episode. Yeah. I mean, but it is a great episode. Like it actually does have a lot of really good information in it about dealing with like the larger forge world kits and stuff like that. And, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to need that level of expertise starting out because if you're just working on smaller models, but if you ever decide that you want to take the leap and start working on bigger kits, that's a great episode to listen to because it really goes, uh, goes down the rabbit hole on some of the stuff that you can do with like having to build structures to like build the models around and things like that, which m- thankfully I think most of the kits that were infamous for that have been retired or upgraded. So like, I doubt you would have to create something like that for the new Thunderhawk, for example, but don't, don't buy a Thunderhawk to start off with, buy something small no, no. and, and work up <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want to say my first like one of my first forge world models was the uh decimator the chaos decimator yeah, which is yeah. roughly dreadnought sized and it wasn't too bad i wasn't able to pose it as much as i wanted to but it's also a slightly older kit and one thing you have to keep in mind about resin is it is heavier than plastic yeah uh and because and so with like parts that might be hanging in midair like you definitely want to pin the model. So you'll want to like drill into it and use like brass rod or paper clip or something. I would prefer, I would use brass rod pre- uh, personally, but uh, use that to, to reinforce those joints. It's an old technique that was used for metal models and it definitely applies for larger uh, resin models. Other things about that is like, you know, you mentioned like when you get into larger kits, that's when you start having um, issues. You can have issues with warping. Like when I, when I built my Ivara, like there were little parts like fins or there's a couple of like, these resin rods that like frame around the gun arm. And mm-hmm. those were a little warpy and like you can use hot water or like a hairdryer to kind of 
soften those up. Used. But uh, it doesn't always, you know, it's, it's, it can be tricky to do just right. So, so there is that to be concerned of. You'll also, uh, something that you don't generally see with plastic that you will see, and I say you will because it does happen, air bubbles that have formed in yep. the resin where you will sometimes, even if it, there's, even if pieces fit snugly, sometimes the surface that is showing on the outside might have a bubble in it. So you can, uh, you'll want green stuff around to be able to fill those in. As as they everyone said, uh, wash. I I use like dish detergent and a toothbrush just to. And the reason you want to wash them is because unlike plastic, which is made in like a metal pressure injection mold, these are poured into like a silicon mold. And to make sure that the resin doesn't stick to the silicon, they use a a release material, and that. Ma- that release material sometimes doesn't get completely cleaned off the the resin and because of that like you sometimes you'll feel the the resin has a slightly like oily or slick texture and what that'll do one thing that'll do is glue and paint will not stick very well to that it'll come right right off so uh and that's true for like even outside of forge world if you're buying resin bases from somebody online Always wash them first. Anytime you work with resin, uh, wash it first. And then, yeah, larger kits work in, you know, work in sub assemblies. Absolutely. Like I've built two, built and painted two town R's now. And, uh, those are big, chunky, hefty models. And, uh, yeah, you, you build those in separate pieces. And sometimes because that's the only way to transport them. Like right. It, <laughs> now, fortunately, uh, as far as magnetizing, because, because Forge World, I, kits are expensive if they have weapon options you will probably not want to be stuck with one option weapon option forever fortunately on a lot of their newer kits and i'm going like from town R onwards they have built magnet receptacles into the design because they know that people will want to swap out like arms and arms Mm. heads etc and so you'll probably like if you're looking at kits like that like some of these relic contemptor dreads because like uh, you know, you're talking about uh, balance, like Relic Contemptor Dreads with Volkite weapons are really popular in, in Space Marine lists right now. And those are only available via Forge World. And so if you have those, but maybe you don't always want to use Volkite weapons, see if they're like they. In fact, I'm going to check to see because usually they show what like the torsos look like. Let's see if they if those are built to be magnetized. But a lot of the newer kits are. I believe they are because, yeah, they, they are because I bought an Alpha Legion Contemptor Dreadnought recently, and I say recently in the last like five years, and and it had um it it had spots to 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 put magnets in on the arms and and the shoulders and stuff like that. But yeah, like because these kits do come without like the base bodies come without arms except for right. a very special couple of instances. I'm going to bet Volkite weapons are all sold out, too. Oh, yeah, look. P- Volkite culverins temporarily out of stock. Who'd have thought? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, really fortunate that the just when I happened to order my Mecha Dread, that there were arms in stock. Because that always seems to be the problem, is, like, you can get bodies, no problem. But, like, arm weapons? Nope. They're, they're like, almost always out of stock. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, seems like the Telemon I, I picked up. I had to like keep checking the Citadel if they had any in. Then finally, just when it back got back in stock on the website, I ordered it and said, "Just ship it to the Citadel." Yeah, but yeah, that was like a two month endeavor just to try and get an arm. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so yeah, just just throwing it out there uh, for for listeners. If anybody wants to donate the money to buy, for me to buy a Mars pattern Warlord Titan, um, you know, just <laughs> no, we have a Patreon. No. We'll put it. Don't in the do end. don't don't um, do that. Don't send us the money for that if, to the Patreon. I'm just going to put I that mean, out there right now. Don't if do somebody that. wants to send me sixteen hundred dollars for actually would be more than that for a Warlord, but um, because that's just the body. But if somebody wants to send the two thousand dollars for a Warlord Titan, we would definitely like build it and paint it and do a whole series on it as. Uh, you know, for the for the podcast, <laughs> if I'm dropping sixteen hundred dollars on plus, if well, I'm dropping two dollars, yeah, yeah say if I'm dropping because you got to buy the head separately too. If I <laughs> right. if I'm dropping two thousand dollars on a model, I'm going to spend the extra money to have somebody I, else, somebody who is experienced, I, build and paint. I mean, I, I like building and painting models, but that I think would be a bit much for even I've, for me. I've told the story before, but it still blows my mind. I was the fourth person in line at the Forge World booth at Gen Con the year the World War Titan was available. I was the first person who didn't buy multiple Warlord Titans in line. And like the the three people in front of me and the person behind me were all like, Yeah, we're gonna you know, we're we're waiting to we're buying this. This is the first time it's available in the United States. The the girl behind me in line was like, Yeah, I haven't told my boyfriend yet, but yeah, I'm gonna buy him one of these. And I'm like, that's Huh. Okay. <laughs> Do you know how much this costs, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <sighs> so yeah, if yeah. anybody does want to give us two thousand no. dollars for a poor no. Titan, like, just you know, <laughs> no. <sighs> but like, honestly, like with Forge World, though, what I am going to say is. If there's something in, like, you do not feel obligated to buy Forge World stuff to compete. I think there's plenty of, plenty of armies that can play perfectly fine without Forge World. And really, there's only a couple of instances where there are, where there are kits where it's like, oh no, this is definitely better than anything else. I think, like, the, the Relic Contemptor Dreads come up a lot for Space Marines, and that's more, uh, condemnation of the space marine codex needing the bump than mm-hmm. the forge world kits I- i'd say you can build a perfectly good custodes list with the telemon but the telemon's a lot of a lot of fun and very cool but really most lists that have been really like tearing things up mechanicus doesn't need anything from forge world drukari don't need anything from forge world sisters really don't have anything in forge world um, they do but it's for 30k right so <laughs> well, there's Sisters of Battle don't. Oh, Sisters sorry, of Battle I was still didn't. thinking Sisters of Silence. You're, th- you're, th- yeah, you're thinking Sisters of Silence. No, Sisters of Battle, like Adeptus Oritas, doesn't need anything from Forge World. Uh, there's And as more armies get updated, it's like, as far as like using stuff competitively, I've used Forge World stuff competitively. I've used it. Uh, I love my Vara. The town art, God, I loved playing the town art. <laughs> the town art right. list was so much fun. It doesn't work anymore because they changed when they changed the when they updated to the new Imperial Armor book. They changed the keywords on it and they changed the point values and it just it does not function the way that list used to. But I loved playing that. That was that was one of my favorite armies to play just because it was so ridiculous to drop a town art on the table and then it's either I did very badly or extremely well. It was there were I don't think I had any close games with that, but it was, you know, if if a Forge World piece speaks to you, if you look at it and say, like, I want that for my army, don't be afraid to get it. If you're looking at it competitively, look like 
the dangerous thing about buying Forge World to cha- to uh, chase the meta is that because Forge World is more expensive, is cast less often, if everyone else is chasing the meta, first off, the things are going to be, like, as we said, like arms and things like that become really difficult to get. Like, you can't buy Volkite Culverins right now because everyone who wants one has tried to get one. So I would not use I would not use Forge World to chain to chase the meta. But if there's a piece from Forge World you want to buy because you think it would be cool or you think it would fit your play style even competitively, um, mm. you know, don't be afraid to do it. And just yeah, plenty of tutorials out there, plenty of great guides on how to work with resin. Um, it is intimidating. Uh, I know moving. You know, I was scared to death of doing it the the first time. But now, now I'm fine. I'm, you know, now I'm like, uh, yeah, it's just right now there's not a lot available for Forge World that really speaks to any armies that I'm playing that I don't already have. Unless I mean, somebody wants to get us a Warlord Titan. Yeah, stop it. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because e- even right now, if I look there, yeah, there's Custodes things I think are cool. But I think if I were to pick up any of the Forge World stuff, it'd be some of the 30k centerpiece characters. Yeah. Because just to paint, not play with, because I mean, but just to have, like Lehman Russ and his two dogs, or wolves. Um, the Sisters of Silence model, uh, just a lot of the just standalones just look really cool. Yeah, that was my my first real Forge World model that I bought was the was the Horus Heresy uh, Mortarian. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty, that's pretty awesome model. Yeah, I think if there was one, I, I'd say the only model right now that I would want to get from Forge World, the 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 Knight Castigator, the one with the sword and the Mega Bolter, because it would fit my yeah. sister's themed knights very well. That and it's been one of these that it comes and goes out of stock. It is in stock again, but it's also three hundred dollars, and I have to consider like. That's the other thing. It's like, what can I buy for three hundred dollars for normal from normal GW? Like, is this the thing that I absolutely have to have? And generally, it's not. So I will make a compromise. If nobody is interested in buying a Warlord Titan, the Tau Manta will by itself is a little bit more expensive. There's no add-on, so it's actually cheaper. So it's only seventeen hundred dollars if you if you want to buy me and send me a uh, Tau Manta. <laughs> so, did you hear what's what's happening? Okay, so you know Squidmar, uh, the guy that does, yes, uh, you know he does, you know he painted like he built and painted like the old school Metal Thunderhawk, like that was yeah. their one of his recent projects. So now he's doing a, a Tau Manta, like oh, that, that I have not seen that yet. <laughs> so he's doing a Tau Manta. Well, here's the thing: another another uh, YouTube channel, Play on Tabletop, challenged him and said, "We bet we can have our Tau Manta." Like, we have also bought a Tau Manta. We bet we can have ours built, painted, and ready to play before you're done with yours. <laughs> and so his response is, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The Manta, I'm not going to play with the Manta. I'm going to make a diorama of the, of a crashed Manta that is the size of a kill team table. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. S- so he basically bought an eight, like a seven, like sixteen, seventeen hundred dollar piece of terrain. Oof, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the 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 yeah, the manta is also a, ridiculous and has been ridiculous for years. I mean, yeah. 
back in like it, the first iteration of the uh, the Forge World website, it was ridiculous then. Also well, temporarily out of stock, so you can't buy it. Right. $1,700, so yeah. Well, and it's it's also one of those, like, it's it's one of the oldest large kits that they have. So, like, it is notorious for warping. Like, I, I have seen videos of people putting it together, and, like, they're using, like, Bondo to, like, fill in cracks. Like, that's... And, and gaps. Like, that's how bad the model is. But, but Kevin, I didn't think that Todd <sighs> figured out the secrets of the warp yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, that model apparently has a lot of warp. <laughs> no, I will have to warp. see that Squidmar video because that's that's amazing. Well, I mean, he hasn't know. built it yet. Like that. this was just him plotting out what he's going to do. But uh, but I will say when one is put together well, like remember was it LVO? Yep. A couple. It was like the, I think the last LVO we went to together. Twenty uh, twenty twenty wasn't it? Yeah. Uh yeah, it, would, it was actually yeah. yeah the, the last one before, you know the 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 death plague was just hitting the country at that point. There was a a manta that had been tricked out with like full light kits and everything, and it yeah. was phenomenal looking. I I've and, seen one where uh and I, I forget the YouTuber that did it, but they they posted. I think they had like three mantas, or maybe it was a manta and a couple of like tiger sharks, but they painted all of them. Um, with like these really cool like jellyfish manta like paint schemes, so like they just look really freaking cool and like really cool designs and stuff on them. Like uh, it's it was super cool. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that model, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't actually need one. <laughs> but if somebody wants to buy one, you know. All right, <laughs> but it, it's one of the. It's also one of those things like you're dropping that much money on on a model. Either you you should be a master painter or pay somebody to do it because oh it's yeah. it's that that kind of thing. So did we answer the question? I, I'd say we. <laughs> I answered. think so. I'd say we, yeah, yeah. So. We got there eventually. In between, yeah. you know, Kevin grubbing for a warlord. For a titan. warlord titan, Kevin, you I mean, already have a warlord titan. Granted, it's a smaller plastic warlord titan for Adeptus Titanicus, but you already have one. So I mean, that's true. That is true. But I'd like a full size one. Now you're just now you're just being greedy. <laughs> Did you say full size or life size? No. F- yes. 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 Life size. <laughs> I think a life size is going to cost a bit more than two thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on to our second letter. This one's from Derek Miller, and Derek writes. Hey guys, I'm a Drukari player, and I hate all things from our weak Eldari cousins. That being said, I've always had a soft spot for the Wraith Knight. I play a lot against a lot of knights in my area and would love to go toe-to-toe with my own Drukari Wraith Knight conversion. My questions are these. Lore-wise, do you think it would be possible for the Drukari to corrupt a Wraith Knight? And two, any suggestions on conversion ideas? Rule-wise, I know the Wraith Knight is terrible right now. This would just be for fun. Longtime fan and listener, Derek Miller. I, I I will give the floor I, I, to you, Dennis. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know that they could really corrupt, but what I could see them doing is like maybe not disband, but take out the core that has the soul crystal that is powering it and put in their own device because I'm sure Homunculus could do something like that. So maybe have something where the chest um, chassis is looks like it might have been broken into and repaired differently. Uh, would be one thing I, I could suggest. Um, also, if you think of the original 
reason that the Wraith Knights were there were to go and collect um, the fallen soul stones of all the Eldar that died so they could come back. Um, in that case, I would suggest treating it as the same theory, except maybe take some of the um, nets um, from the witches or some of the vehicles and attach them to maybe the arms or something. As So it's it's collecting souls the Dark Eldar way as opposed to the Eldar <laughs> way. Um, and then past that, since that kind of seems like the the Kronos a little bit, maybe see if there's some way you can either incorporate the Kronos head design on there. Cause I think the head would be probably too small of a Kronos to fit on there, but yeah, green, st- green stuff make, so it had more of that feel to it as opposed to the sleek wraith guard, wraith Lord head type feel. Um, weapon wise, you could probably swap out a lot of the smaller weapons. Cause I mean, swap out scatter lasers with, the shredders, star cannons with disintegrator cannons, bright lances with dark lances. Um, or if you were going for the big weapons, I don't know exactly how to change because there aren't any comparable giant weapons on the dark Eldar other than maybe just adding bits to make the weapons look spiky. I don't know. Um, but my thoughts, at least on the blade might be cool would be if you could green stuff or make it instead of like a, a, Glaive, change it to a clave, so it's more square, blocky, kind of like the Incubi have. And I think that would be a nice, cool feel to make it feel like a giant Dark Eldar-type melee weapon. Those are all the ones I had off the top of my head. I don't know. If- uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at Dark Eldar or Drukhari Wraith Knight conversions. Uh, there, there's plenty of images that people put together on... Uh, on, so how uh, close was I on Google? <laughs> uh, you're not too far off. Um, one thing, uh, yeah, people replacing, like putting like blasters and shredders on in place of other weapons. I I see a couple that have like witches hanging off of them, kind of the you know like coming along for the ride type thing. There was one I posted a link to it in our chat uh, where they green stuffed in the like muscular neck coming out of the torso. So kind of like what you suggested having the monkey, the homunculi covens like grow something to fill in and then drilling in the holes on the faceplate to look like the, uh, like the way a Kronos or Talos looks. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And then, and then I like, like the replacing the, the head. Yeah. The wing bits from like a scourge and then, uh, the uh, replacing the blade on kind of like the, that swept up blade on the back of the head with one that has kind of notches cut in it the way that like a lot of Drukhari design does with like plastic art. But yeah, you definitely couldn't you, you'd be hard pressed to replace the, the souls of the twins or, or corrupt them. But yeah, you could definitely have somebody grow meat inside the thing. And it reminds me of uh, the um, the Phantom Titan that we saw it uh when we went to games day and we went to the uh the u.s headquarters and they had those two display cases one with like a classic phantom titan and then one with the drukari phantom titan where they yeah. basically done like yeah just, and this was really bef- i think the the drukari slash dark eldar uh redesign had just happened like those models was, were still relatively new so it it was basically a phantom painted in like a different color scheme and then yeah with some of that blade design 
put onto it and then like yeah witches hanging off you know using the thing as a transport mm-hmm. yeah, yeah kevin has I'm- posted a link to some other conversion ideas yeah, so like this conversion was like they took like the body of like a soul grinder and uh and used that as like the torso, which I think is kind of cool because it's that's all like muscular and fleshy and sufficiently kind of gross. No, I, I would I would say this, like if you have an idea for how to convert a Jerkari Wraith Knight, go for it. Like you can come up with whatever fluff reason you want or don't want. Like you know, if you just like, hey, I like this model and I want to do a conversion, go for it. You know, that there's plenty of ideas out there to to hopefully get you started. And uh, yeah, uh, it'd be cool to see what you come up with. Um, looking at, this isn't exactly a conversion bit, but the Wraith Knight has those two. Okay, so there's the shoulder mounted weapons and there's those two kind of knobby fins that come off the back of it. What about not putting the shoulder weapons on, but replacing the knobby, the, those fins with the tails from a Talos or a Kronos, where it's got like the, the dual guns on those? Th- that works. Also, the one that you linked that had the Scourge wings for the, on the fins was also neat. Yes. Yeah, that would be cool. So there's, there's, yeah, there's a number of things you can, you could do with this. And a lot of it can also just come down to, to uh like paint scheme will go a long way towards you know going with like a, a darker more menacing paint scheme yeah I'm, f- I'm looking up uh fan like drukari phantom titan uh somebody's attached like little wing bits from this actually might be from like one of the older drukari like raider kits on like the arms just to kind of give it a more menacing look yeah look at like what bits you have that can give you that kind of sharp bladed angular you know you know aggressive feel cut notches in sword blades or square them off i imagine you'll probably use a you'll want to use some plastic card to to create some custom bits because you know there's just not a lot of bits that will be at that scale that will give you quite the look you're you're wanting but uh yeah that's yeah, there's 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 plenty of ideas out there, and fortunately, because the uh, the Drukari line is almost entirely plastic at this point, you've got a lot of bits you can play around with and see where they where they'd fit in into your overall design. Mm-hmm. So I would, yeah, just just you know, yeah, just dr- figure out a good way to you know Drukari the thing up, weapon and and design wise. And yeah, I think I think Dennis had some really good ideas there. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer, whether it's about models or rules or just commentary or addressing something we've talked about on the show before, uh, there are three good ways to get those questions to us. Uh, first off is email. You can email us at our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com or our first names at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. You can uh, reach us at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. Uh, we post updates like new episodes, updates on episode production, anything we happen to find cool, things that we're working on, etc. Um, 
And so you can like us there and follow us. A third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take comments and questions from all those sources, throw them together, put them in and try to get through as many as we can in an episode. Uh, right now, our list is empty. So if you want to get your letter read on the air, now's a perfect time. Uh, in addition, we do have a Patreon, as Kevin mentioned. Do not send us money for a Warlord Titan for Kevin. It will be used for other things, like sending Dennis to uh, the uh, Austin Open, because that's actually a better use of the money, Kevin. <laughs> is it? Is it, though? <laughs> is it, though? Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> but we are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies we basically use it as an online tip jar we don't lock any of our episodes behind a uh, paywall so all our content is available for everyone but if you do want to help support the show it does pay for things like our web hosting uh keeping our recording equipment in good shape uh pays for trips to events so that we can cover them and uh tell you how tell you about them if you haven't been able to attend yourself and uh, it's actually starting tomorrow. It's going to pay for our recording services as well so that we can continue to record remotely at a decent sound quality and not have to fight Skype or Discord the whole time, which it's been nice not having to fight those things. Um, and so if you want to help support the show, uh, if you have the money to support the show, we recommend that you you put that money into your community first. Uh, there's always plenty of charities that uh, a community can use, uh, especially like with with the season that's coming up. Uh, food banks are always good, um, like rent aid funds, things like that. But after that, if you want to continue to support the show, uh, even if it's just at a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up and helps out and really covers our helps cover our costs of doing the show. Um, also, uh, Midwest Conquest is coming up next May, and I believe by the time you hear this episode, um, the new, the entries for signing up for events should be available. If not, they will be very available very soon. But look for early November for our release of, uh, or look for early, look to early November for registration to open up at least on the uh, 40k GT itself, and I believe the friendly will also be available then. Yep. Yeah, we're going to try to get the... Um, I mean, we've got a lot of events planned. We're going to try to get the, the GT and the friendly uh, available as soon as possible. Um, there's going to be Beer Hammer. We're going to do a Night Joust. Um, there's going to be a lot of really cool, really fun events. So um, more information as that comes out, but hopefully uh, by the time this goes live, uh, registration will be live as well. Yep, and all that information will be at MidwestConquest.com. Uh, so uh, keep an eye on that if you are interested in attending those events. So we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be taking a look at the new Black Templar supplement. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. 
They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time to look at the main topic, which is the new Black Templar Codex supplement for Codex Space Marines. Uh, again, as mentioned earlier, this was provided to us as a review copy by Games Workshop, along with the rest of the uh, Black Templar Army box. Um, so I don't know if they're trying to send me a message or not. That I mean, I'm sure they sent it to other people, too, so it's not just me. But I did used to play Black Templars. The Black so. Templars miss you and want you back. Uh, yeah. I don't need another army, though. I, I We gave that army but away as a you? raffle at Midwest Conquest. But don't Do you I need what? another army? Don't no, you need another army? No, no. but apparently they, they sent me one. They didn't send me a sister's box. I'm just going to... I'm putting that right out there. That's fair. Well, they knew you already mm-hmm. had some sister's figures. That, that, okay, I suppose that's fair. <laughs> yeah, but, but I would have lo- taken the sister's box. <laughs> <laughs> I had a buy new army, box. right? I did actually buy a system. Uh, so don't, do do <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that, If anybody wants to buy us, or, no. <laughs> oh, Kevin, wow. Okay, stop it, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin has reached shameless levels in this episode. Yeah. So not that he ever oh, yeah. had any shame, but... <laughs> so, uh, so fluff-wise, the Black Templar... It, first off, this is like one of the only successor chapters to have its own official campaign, you know, like codex supplement. Um, mm. You know, most are covered just by either the base codex space Marines or the codex supplements for the various founding chapters. Uh, but black Templars are a very different beast than the Imperial fists, their founding chapter. And they're a very different beast from the rest of the Space Marine chapters. Uh, most Space Marine chapters, unlike a lot of the Imperium, do not revere the Emperor as an actual God Emperor. They do not believe he is a God. In fact, the Emperor was very, uh, very direct on that subject during the Horus Heresy, saying that he was not a God. And in fact, uh, the uh, Word Bears got in trouble for insisting that people worship him as a God. 
And which is why they decided that after he told them he didn't want to be worshipped, they'd find somebody who was willing to be worshipped. And of course, nothing good came of that decision. Right. But, uh, when somebody <laughs> asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, uh, the Black Templars are the ones who decided, no, he's a god. He's totally a god, and we're going to worship him like he's a god, because we think he's a god. And the everything the Emperor declared is what we're going to do, and we are going to zealously inflict the Emperor's will upon the universe <laughs> via many, many crusades. They don't care about the Codex Astartes. They don't care about the thousand space marine per chapter limit. They, they are just going to bring the Holy Wrath of the Emperor down on uh on pretty much everyone that isn't who they think they are um you know there's been a long-running joke about you know space marines in general or the imperium in general being catholic space nazis and i'm gonna say the black templars are just about there like i don't know if you can really call the black templars good guys in many ways (laughs) i mean considering the fact that the word crusade itself is a rather loaded term and they do wear black hats uh, they do. They do wear black hats. Um, black hats with red and white, uh, you know, black uniforms with red and white symbology. So, ee, you know, not a great look. <laughs> I don't see the problem. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Says the guy who plays Germans in bolt action. So I'm just hey, saying. Hey, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they, they and you know they've bounced back and forth on on the lore on on Black Templars in the last version, which was in uh, which they covered in Faith and Fury, the Psychic Awakening book. They had a rule called like the Lost Librarius, which is just like, well, they don't have a Librarius anymore, and so that's just why Black Templars don't don't have uh li- can't take librarians or psychers. They but they. But they still, um, you know, they, of course, they, they can't be completely anti-psyker because they're asked, like, they have, like, navigators and astropaths that they have to use to be able to traverse the warp because they're a fleet-based uh, chapter. So they can't be completely anti-psyker. Um, no, they've changed. They've revised that or maybe rolled it back a bit to an earlier version. Uh, because, like they said, basically the reason they don't have a librarius is because once upon a time, in fact, we mentioned this during the uh, Thousand Suns episode, there was the Council of Nikea, where the Emperor said, okay, no librarians, no psychers in the Space Marines. It's just asking for trouble. And the Black Templars are like, yeah, we're taking him at his word. No psychers. And in fact, the fact that we have to use psychers, it really sticks in our craw and we'd really rather not. So we're, they basically treat astropaths and navigators like one step lower than slaves, if that's possible. I mean, they hate them, but it's like a necessary, barely tolerated evil in their minds. And uh, they are extremely zealous. They are... I just just not a very cheery bunch. And uh yeah, basically everything is crusade after crusade after crusade. Uh, but they've been, you know, at present at some like the big battles like they were very active in the battle of the uh second war of Armageddon when uh Ga- Gasgol decided to attack 
Armageddon. And that's where uh, Chaplain Grimaldus basically like made his name. There's a the the Hell's Reach book from Aaron Dembski Bowden, one of the Space Marine battles. But really, really good book, highly recommended. And uh, that's where he got his. Like there was basically a uh, a I want to say a church like that part of the church collapsed around him. And he managed to rescue some of the the holy relics from that church. And he's got three servitors that just walk around with him with those artifacts because obviously the emperor protects. So, so yeah, that, that I mean, the Black Templars are basically an extremely zealous, very melee oriented chapter. They, they're very focused on taking the fight directly to the enemy's face in the name of the emperor, which is why one of their main mechanics which they've brought back from like a very i think the third or fourth edition black templar codex was the last one to have vows and so they have they have created recreated the vow system and fluff wise the four vows are suffer not the unclean to live uphold the honor of the emperor abhor the witch destroy the witch and accept any challenge no matter the odds and we will get into how that has uh related uh mechanically in a minute as far as the look of the black templars uh yes very much black armor black armor white shoulder pads with the templar cross on them uh and uh one thing thematically you'll notice is that uh, Black Templars almost always have their weapons chained to their wrists because they are not going to lose their weapons in combat. That would bring them great dishonor, and they're just not going to do that. So uh, they will. They're very intent on going down swinging. So uh, to really understand what Black Templars do, though, we are going to have to go back to Codex Space Marines. Because that's where their chapter tactic is. Uh, their chapter tactic is righteous zeal, uh, which is, again, very appropriate. Hot, hot burns the hatred of Black Templars for the mutant, the witch, and the heretic, and bright blazes their faith in the immortal emperor of mankind. Um with furious cries, do these crusading warriors hurl themselves into battle against their reviled foes, and with fervent prayers do they shrug off even the most grievous of wounds. Uh, so all Black Templars can re-roll advance rolls and charge rolls, and each time a model with this tactic would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, roll a d6 on a 5-up, that wound is not lost. So obviously we already have a very, like, very assault focused on the gate, or out of the gate, and... Also, with some psychic defense in the sense that they will shrug off a third of the mortal wounds they take. Um, they also can't, as, as mentioned before, they cannot take librarians. Uh, they uh, just do not have access to the uh, librarius in any way, shape, or form. So, let's see. And they have a few other limitations for their army building as well. They cannot upgrade a uh, company champion to be a chapter champion for reasons we'll mention in a minute but that may be it because when they were put in the space marine codex they had to be able to take all the various normal kinds of squads like whether it was tactical squads or intercessor squads etc uh, they have expanded their troop choices a bit which uh, they had in war of the spider but they've they've readjusted now so um, so they also have shown what the combat patrol is but we'll get back we'll get to that in a second uh, so, 
Detachment abilities. Uh, if every unit in your army, except online units, has Black Templars keyword, every unit has the Combat Doctrine's ability, which is pretty standard, and is in a Black Templar's detachment, gains the Templar Vows ability below. This is their super doctrine. Their super doctrine does not care what doctrine you're in. This one does not key off of being in ta- Devastator, Tactical, or Assault doctrine. Instead, at the end of the read mission briefing step, which means you do not do this during army construction, you do this once you start, the, like as you're looking at, like reading the mission, seeing who your opponent is, etc. So you can tailor this to your opponent. You select one of those four vows I mentioned. Until the end of the battle, all units from the army with the Templar vows ability gain the effects of the selected vow. The effects of each vow can be found on the next pages. Each vow provides a series of abilities as well as a passion. The passion is a drawback that affects Black Templar units while they're under the effects of that vow. So your four vows are suffer not the unclean to live. While this vow is in effect, the vow itself provides each time a model in this unit makes a melee attack against a non-vehicle unit, an unmodified hit roll of six automatically wounds the target. But the passion, the downside is each time the unit is selected to charge, the closest enemy non-aircraft unit within 12 inches and not within engagement range of any other Black Templar units must be declared the target of that charge. So you have to charge somebody who hasn't been charged before if there if there's somebody there. Now, if somebody's already been charged, you don't have to charge them. But basically, you've got to always be charging. Uphold the honor of the Emperor. While this vow is in effect, models in this unit have a 5-up and vulnerable save, each time an, and each time an attack is made against this unit, an unmodified wound roll of 1 or 2 for that attack fails, irrespective of any abilities the weapon or the model making the attack may have. Now, while that may not seem like a lot, it's basically a weaker view- version of transhuman physiology, which says nothing below a four will wound you. This is nothing, be- nothing below a three will wound you, which means a third of the attacks you take will, you know, theoretically will not wound you, which is pretty solid. That on top of a five up invuln save for everything in the army, and that's everything. So vehicles, dread like you know, tanks, dreadnoughts, bikes, etc. Everything has a five up and vulnerable and can't be wounded on a one or two. Nice. But the down the downside is every time an enemy model makes an attack against this unit, you don't receive the benefits of cover against that attack. So just either be completely out of line of sight or don't bother. You go just, which is still going to encourage you to be very out there and charging in in somebody's face. Uh, Third is abhor the witch, destroy the witch. While this vow is in effect, once per battle in your movement, first movement phase, if there are any psyker units in your opponent's army, until the end of the phase, add three inches to the movement characteristic of models in this unit. So basically, everybody gets three inches of movement if your extra three inches of movement first turn if your opponent has has a single psyker. And each time a model in this unit makes a melee attack against a Psyker unit, re-roll a wound roll of one. However, the downside on this one, while an enemy enemy Psyker unit is within 18 inches of this unit, this unit cannot perform any actions. Which is definitely going to shape what secondaries you take. And finally, accept any challenge no matter the odds. Uh, while this unit is within engagement range of any enemy units, if a combat doctrine is active for your army, 
this unit gets assault doctrine bonus instead. And each time this unit fights until that fight is resolved, add one to the attacks characteristic of models in that unit. This is not cumulative with the additional attack granted by shock assault ability. Basically, you're always an assault doctrine and shock assault is always up. Like you always get the extra attack. And the passion is this unit cannot fall back. So if you choose that one, you always have you like you'll always have more attacks and you'll always be getting the better benefit of like AP, but you can never fall back out of combat. But you're Black Templars, so why would you? Right. So, so uh, I mean, of those, uh, Uphold the Honor of the Emperor is the most just generally useful. I mean, five up invuln and, and shrugging off a third of all wounds is fantastic. And the trade-off of, oh, and you don't get cover. I've already got a five up invulnerable. I'm That's fine. And, and then, of course, if you're playing against a psychic army, Abhor the Witch, Destroy the Witch is almost a, a given that you're going to take. The other two, I think, are very conditional. I mean, except any ch- challenge, no matter the odds, is kind of the generic, I want to punch things, Val. Honestly, Suffer Not the Unclean to Live is probably the weakest one of the bunch. Because that's just the, oh, you automatically wound on hit six sixes to hit. Right. Which, I mean, it's fine, I guess. Um, we'll get to stratagems in a bit. Um, they do have their own set of litanies for their chaplains, which is good because they don't have psychers. So this is going to be like the next best thing. Um, as always, they'll have litanies of hate, which lets you re-roll your hit rolls in combat. Um, always very solid. And again, you know, chaplains are going to kind of fill your, your librarian role in this army. But then you've got things like litany of divine protection, which uh, if this litany is inspiring, select a friendly core character unit within six inches of the priest. Each time a model in that unit would lose a wound, uh, roll a D six on a five up. So basically you get a five up feel no pain for any black Templars core or character unit. Uh, Psalm of remorseless per- uh, persecution. Every time you make a melee attack, an unmodified rule of six inflicts a mortal wound in addition to normal damage. Plea, plea of Deliverance, um, select a friendly core or Black Templar character unit within six inches of the priest. If the unit of its models are being affected by any psychic powers, it ends the ability. And uh, until the start of your next command phase, the unit and models it contains are not affected by any psychic power manifested by enemy units. So if you just don't, if you just want to make a unit immune to psychic powers, there you go. That's pretty cool. Uh, fire, yeah, Fires of Devotion, uh, Basically gives the unit within six inches an extra attack if they if it charged was charged or heroically intervened. Uh, fervent acclamation. Um, if this litany is inspiring, select a Templar vow not in effect and select a friendly Black Templar's core or character within six inches of the priest. The unit gains the effects of that vow. So uh, I didn't pick abhor the witch, destroy the witch, but my opponent has a psyker. I will give it. You know, it has like one psyker. I will give them abhor the witch, destroy the witch for a turn. And then oath of glory at the start of the fight phase of the priest models with engagement range of any enemy units. It can fight first. Each time the priest model makes an attack with a Croesus Arcanum or Artificer Croesus or a relic that replaces one. An unmodified hit roll of six scores two additional hits and add one to its strength. So, uh, so if you just need to make your, your chaplain into a beater for a turn. Warlord traits mostly benefit the warlord themselves. There's only there's only one that is actually an aura, which is inspirational fighter, which 
Each time a friendly core unit within six inches of the warlord makes a melee attack on an unmodified wound roll of six, uh, the AP improves by one, and that's cumulative with the assault doctrine bonus. Uh, not great, I don't think. But otherwise, like there's one that adds deny the witch tests taken by this warlord and allows them to deny as if they were psyker. One that adds to their strength and causes mortal wounds whenever they finish a charge move within engagement range of an enemy unit uh or like when they finish yeah when they finish a charge move within engagement range uh on a five up the they cause a mortal wound uh one that adds to attacks and can lets the warlord fight first one that adds to their advance and charge rolls and if somebody else if another core unit charges somebody that your warlord's in engagement range with they add one to their charge range and then one that lets your warlord heroically intervene up to six inches instead of just three. There's a uh, there's a bunch of relics. Uh, again, uh, like for example, there's some psyker hate here, like the uh, skull of the Cacodominius, which was actually a weaker version of this was in the uh, was in Faith and Fury, but the new version um, subtracts if, if enemy psychers within twelve inches of the model subtract one from psychic tests taken for the unit. Um, while an enemy psyker unit is within 12 inches of the model, each time they uh, take a psychic test, they suffers perils on any double, not just ones or sixes. And uh, once per turn, the person using it can uh, increase that minus one psychic test aura to 18 inches. There's a they've got a sword that is just a flat that replaces any power sword that is just a flat plus three strength minus three AP D uh, or not D three three damage flat three damage. There's one that you know you've got relics that add to toughness and attacks. Um, Tannhauser's bones. Each time an attack is allocated to the bear, the damage characteristic of the attack is one, just one. And take that, and then in addition, the uh, uphold the honor of the emperor. So you're only going to be wounded a third of the time, and when you are, it's never more than one damage. So yeah, that one's. I mean, you can get very, very solid there. And then there's the there's the their version of upgrades. Like you know, obviously every codex we get something where like like you can pay power like power rating and points to give somebody a small upgrade. One well, here they have relic bears, which is the idea that the the fleet is carrying around relics which may not be at like the level of like a chapter level relic, but the Crusade fleet has its own relics. And as long as you have a Templar a Black Templar chaplain in your army, you can use one of these upgrades, which is another point to say every Black Templar's army should have a chaplain in it. All of them should. I mean, it's a solid utility character and again, it's your replacement for for having psychers uh, and so basically each black templars infantry or black templars biker unit not counting character units uh you can for each one you can select to give that unit one of the upgrades the upgraded each upgrade in the army must be unique so you can't take the same one twice which makes sense because they're holy relics there shouldn't be multiples of them and once selected, the upgrade must be allocated to one model in that unit, and the model gains the abilities listed. It's almost always going to be the sergeant, because you're going to just want the person who has the better stat line. And none of, like, the most expensive one is 20. Most of them are, actually, there are four that cost 10, three that cost 15, and one that costs 20. 
Um, the one that costs 20 is uh, Sigismund Seal. Uh, Sigismund is the actual, the original Black Templar. He was originally a uh, Imperial Fist, and he was basically the Imperial Fist's champion and became the Emperor's champion, who will come up later. At the start of the first battle round, select one enemy unit on the battlefield. Until the end of the battle, each time a melee attack is made by this model's unit against that unit, you can reroll hits and wounds. So basically, you pick one unit, and then you pick a unit on the other side of the field and say, yeah, that unit right there, screw those guys, I'm killing them. But there's also things like, how about a power fist called the Fist of Balthus that has no to-hit penalty and always does a flat three damage? It's pretty tasty. Or a flamer called the Beast Pyre. It's a f- replaces a flamer or pyre blaster, which is like the new extended range flamer they have. Um, 15 inch range, assault D6, strength 6, AP minus 2, 1 damage, automatically hits with all attacks, and has blast. A blast flamer. So if you hit a unit of 10, you're going to hit them with all 6. And all 6 will hit. <laughs> There's the Holy Orb, which is the Holy Hand Grenade of St. Antioch. Hell yeah. Because once per battle in the shooting phase, you pick an enemy unit within six inches, you roll a d6 on the two up, they suffer d3 mortal wounds, and they have to fight last. Don't you mean five, sir? No, three, sir. No, two, sir. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) One, two, five. Three, sir. (laughs) It's it's definitely a podcast now. We've made Monty Python jokes. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure we've made these jokes in the past. One of the previous times we've talked about Black Templars. Uh, they have their crusade rules where you can take an oath. Like, so a Black Templar's unit can declare it, like the Black Templar's army can declare an oath of crusade. You select a deed and a foe. If you have, okay, so you select a deed. If you've selected a deed, then you select a foe. If you've got a deed and a foe, you can select a condition. And if you select a con, then you select a situation. And then you declare in the name of the immortal emperor, I hereby vow to deed condition situation so let's I'm just going to take the first choice in each column to give you an idea here so if my deed so like so in the name of the immortal emperor I hereby vow to bring glory to his name goal win at least four battles with your army roster when your army roster contains any black templar units and lay low the foe's mightiest heroes goal. When I select this, I must destroy at least four enemy character models that have at least one different faction keyword from one another with melee attacks made by Black Templar's characters and destroy at least eight enemy character models that have the same faction keyword as each other with melee attacks made by the Black Templar's characters units within my army. Without taking a backward step, I... Uh, Play in at least four battles in which at the end of the battle, no Black Templars models from your army have fled. And situation across this forsaken sector, play at least ten different crusade missions while your army roster contains any Black Templars units. And if you... So, for example, if I finish... If I satisfied that deed, that, that, that entire oath, I would get a relic piece, the Casket of the Pious... A relic piece, the seal of the pious. Um, I could select up to three Black Templars core units to gain a battle-tested battle trait, and then increase my Crusade forces supply limit by ten power. Now, those relic pieces, those matter because there are relics where you have to collect 
all three pieces of them to add them to your army. So maybe I would go, um, my deed, my vow might be in the name of the immortal emperor. I vowed hereby vow to reclaim. Let's see, to bring victory to the chapter and slay the enemy's leaders without allowing our heroes to fall, regardless of what assails us. In which case, I would end up with all three pieces, the Blade of the Lost Crusader, the Grip of the Lost Crusader, the Cross Guard of the Lost Crusader, which would allow me to build the Sword of the Lost Crusader, which is a plus two strength, minus three AP, two damage power sword that causes your opponents to uh, subtract one when they try to hit you in melee. So, like, if I took that vow, but I would have to satisfy all the conditions of that vow... And you cannot get any rewards from the oath until you have completed all the conditions of the oath. So that that's how Black Templars play in Crusade play. They they make an oath to something, and then over multiple games, they have to try to fulfill that oath to represent the entire crusade that they've gone on. So that's kind of fun. And then uh, one of the uh, a relic that I think was in the game at one point and now has been made into a uh, crusade only relic because again I love the idea that certain items are just too powerful for competitive play. The Black Sword of Sigismund is their legendary relic. It replaces it like power sword, mastercraft and power sword or relic blades. It is a plus three strength, minus five AP, three damage power sword. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> No armor save for you. Not at all. None. Uh, and and now let's actually get into the data sheets, and then we'll come back and hit uh, we'll hit stratagems, uh, mi- secondary missions, and uh, the combat patrol at the end. Um, so the uh, so for the data sheets, like they do mention that there are upgrades that you can take for Black Templars only. Um, so, for example, if you have a Primaris Captain as Black Templars, they are considered a Marshal, which is the character model that uh, they released in the army box along with the Emperor's Champion, uh, which allows you to take Mastercrafted Power Sword or Mastercrafted Power Axe and then like an Auto Flamer or a uh, Plasma Pistol instead. You can still take the normal Captain gear if you want, but if you decide not to, they have like more Black templar e options. And then there's the Castellan, which is the lieutenant, and they've shown what that model looks like. Um, and it's based off of some of the, the John Blanche artwork mm-hmm. from, like, the old Black Templar, like, third edition rulebook. Like, third cover. edition codex, yeah. Yeah. Um, if a Primaris... So the Castellan is just a Primaris lieutenant Black Templar, and uh, you can either replace the auto bolt rifle... You can see, you can replace the auto bolt rifle... With a combi flamer and a mastercrafted power axe, which I believe is the the way they have the model built, or you can replace the bolt pistol and mastercrafted auto bolt rifle that they have with a heavy bolt pistol and an Astartes chainsword, bolt pistol and a mastercrafted power sword, an auto plasma and a Astartes chainsword, or an auto plasma and a mastercrafted plasma sword, and then finally their repulsors and. Uh, their various forms of gladiators can replace one of their iron hail st- heavy stubbers with a multi melta 
because that actually is a throwback to the Land Raider Crusader they have where they're like they are one of the only chapters that could take a multi melta on the Land Raider Crusader eventually you know, originally. So now they can take a multi melta on the newer tanks as well. And I would I imagine the Black Templar via like there's an upgrade sprue they're doing. I imagine it would include a black or a, a multi melta to put on those because I don't believe those kits come with them. But let's get into the actual data sheets now. There are three named characters and one, two, three uh, units. Uh, so the the characters include High Marshal Helbrecht, who is getting a new model. Uh, actually, all of the uh, characters are getting new models because they have all been made into Primaris because, of course, they have. Um, Helbrecht is a beater. He has six attacks base, eight wounds... Because it's not just him, he has two guys following him around constantly cleaning his gear, and they can punch too. But uh, Strength 4, Tough 4, 8 wounds, 2 up armor, uh, 6 attack space, um, he'll have 7 on the charge, or 7 if you take accept any challenge no matter the odds. Um, and uh, he has... Like, his sword, the Sword of the High Marshals, is he can either fight with it one-handed, in which case that's the one where you're swinging at a whole bunch of people because it doubles the number of attacks he makes, and they're plus two strength, minus three AP, one damage. So if he's cutting through a bunch of uh, non-Marine stuff, like just a bunch of, like, like Guardsmen, Drukhari, Skitari, stuff like that, um, swinging one-handed will just end up slaughtering a whole bunch of people. Because he'll be wounding on twos that probably won't get much in the way of armor saves. Or two-handed, it just becomes strength eight, AP minus three, three damage. He has a combi melta gun called Ferocity, which does not have the normal melta half distance for the extra damage thing. It is always at D6 plus two damage. So it's just a full full range melta melta gun. And then a like a premier style bolt rifle. And then he also gets two additional attacks with his attendance thralls fists, which are only strength three, eight, one damage, no AP. So not only does he fight, but the two guys constantly cleaning his gear are also over there and will just randomly punch stuff. Um, he has a six inch aura. He, he has a chat. He has like the standard uh, captain and chapter master abilities where uh, any core unit within six inches can reroll hit rolls of one. He can pick a core unit or character unit within six inches to reroll everything. And then all uh, Black Templar, friendly Black Templar core units within six inches of him add one to their strength as well. So he is both a good support character and pretty nasty on the field by himself. There is Chaplain Grimaldus, who is now in a unit with his three Cenobites. He always has the Cenobites with him that carry around the relics that he rescued from Armageddon. And they provide, actually provide buffs rather than just being extra bodies. Because in the previous version, Grimaldus just had the option to take the Cenobites and they had relics that provided an ability, but they were just a separate unit um, that allowed some Black Templars to shrug off mortal wounds on a 4-up. Well, their ability is already a 5-up, so that really wouldn't be that big of a bump. So Grimaldus now just has three extra bodies with him in his unit. He ignores their deaths for the purposes of morale. Um, Grimaldus can be your warlord, but only Grimaldus, the, obviously a Cenobite cannot be your, <laughs> like a Servitor cannot be your warlord. 
<laughs> um, I mean, stat line wise, he's he's a decent chaplain. Uh, weapon skill two, ballistic skill three, strength four, tough four, five wounds, four attacks. Um, the Cenobite Servitors themselves have an attack each and are strength three with weapon skill, ballistic skill four. Um, but the relics they have, basically, he kind of works like the Triumph of St. Catherine. Basically, he's got, like, one Cenobite has this piece of war gear, one Cenobite has this piece, one Cenobite has this piece. Um, so the three pieces are the Banner of Fallen Crusaders. The bear has the following ability. Uh, while the friendly Black Templar Corps character unit is within six inches of this unit, each time an advance roll is made for that unit, roll D3 plus three instead of D6. So everybody within six inches that start within six inches of him can advance four to six inches rather than one to six inches. The Remnant of the Fallen Temple uh, has the ability, while a friendly Black Templar core or character unit is within six inches of this unit, they have a six-up feel-no-pain on all wounds. And then the Scepter of Anointing, each time a roll is made by, to determine if a litany recited by this unit's Chaplain Grimaldus model is inspiring, add one to the roll, which means he inspires on a two-up instead of a three-up. And he knows uh, the Litany of Hate and two other litanies. Um, he can... Uh, Cancel psychic powers once per turn as if he were a psyker. So he can he can deny the witch. He's got a four up and vulnerable. His Croesus is plus two strength, minus two AP, two damage. So he's hitting at strength six, so not bad. And then once per battle, when Grimaldus dies, he comes back on a four up with three wounds remaining. Nice. See, with it being Halloween, I thought you'd say he'd come back as a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> But half the, so basically he's a, he is an eight wound unit who half the time he dies will come back as a three wound unit, as a three wound model. Uh, yeah, he's, and he's a very, that his, his entire retinue just makes him into a very powerful buff character. He just very solid. He also does have the master of sanctity trait. So if you take Grimaldus, you cannot take another chaplain and upgrade it to a master of sanctity as well. And then we have the new Emperor's Champion, which, uh, again, Sigismund was the original Emperor's Champion. And uh, so the new Emperor's Champion, this is why they also can't have chapter champions, because every time they go to fight, somebody new gets picked to be the Emperor's Champion. Um, Weapon skill 2, Ballistic skill 3, Strength 4, Tough 4, 5 wounds, 5 attacks. And then he has the Black Sword. He can either do a Sweeping Blow, plus 3 Strength, minus 3 AP, 2 damage. Or a thrusting strike, double his strength, minus four AP, three damage, but subtract one from from the hit roll. So he's either hitting on twos and doing five attacks, or hitting on threes and doing, uh, or and doing, you know, five like thunderhammer or power fist style attacks. It's got a four up and vulnerable save. Uh, anytime somebody f uh, does melee attacks against him, they subtract one to be to the hit roll. Uh, each time he makes a melee attack against an enemy character, he can reroll the hit and wound rolls. Um, he can never have any relics because he's already carrying them because he's got the Black Blade and the Armor of Faith. Um, if he's within engagement range of any enemy character units, he can fight first. And he can uh, heroically intervene six inches instead of three. So... 
he's like of the three characters, he's the one that he like he doesn't provide really anything else to the rest of the army. He's just a really solid character killer. And then finally, there's the uh, there's two troop units and one elite unit. The two troop units are the Primaris Crusader Squad, which is a new kit that was included in the army box, and it includes uh, Primaris Ver- Primaris Initiates and Primaris Neophytes. Um, which basically Primaris Neophytes are scouts, so we have our first official Primaris Scout equivalent. The one difference is Primaris Scouts have two wounds instead of the normal Neophytes and Scouts only having one. But otherwise, they have the same leadership, armor save, weapon skill, ballistic skill. And Neophytes can take bolt pistols, chainswords, or um, shotguns, or bolt carbines. And otherwise, uh, Crusader Squads, they're kind of a mix and match. They can't really take, you know, they're Primaris, so they can't really take heavy weapons but they uh like they can take like bolt pistols, pyre blasters and then the sword brother can take it comes with a like the sergeant who is a sword brother comes with a power sword. The unit always has um five initiates, four neophytes and a sword brother and then you can go up to 11 initiates, eight neophytes. Uh as opposed to like old crusader squads which could you could just have the initiates and skip the neophytes entirely. Mm-hmm. And then regular Crusader squads, like the you know, like basically first thorn style Crusader squads, they are the way they always were. They can take their four initiates and a sword brother, so it's a five man squad to start. They can take neophytes if they want, as just as long as they don't have more neophytes than they have initiates. Actually, no. Do they even have that rule? Yeah, I don't see it on the. Uh, no, I think I don't think that, so. You squad, could have yeah. a whole. Yeah, so you could have like ten neophytes and four initiates. That's interesting because that once upon a time it was like you, they were very clear you could never have more neophytes than you had initiates. Um, and then they have the one thing. One thing they could do before that they can't do now is like once upon a time, like I, you could build crusader squads with like a special and a heavy weapon. Now you, at five at a five man squad, now you can do one or the other. If the squad has 10 models, you can do both. Although five of those 10 could be neophytes if you wanted. So, uh, but otherwise, like other than the weapon selection and the neophytes themselves, and having one fewer attack base, that's the other difference, is the Primaris Crusader squad has one more attack and their scouts have one more wound. Otherwise, there's not much difference other than in cost. Because Also because the Crusader squad starts smaller. It starts at like 5 power rating and it's 13 points per model versus 16 points per model. So you're actually not hurt that badly not taking... Like, if you want to take old Crusader squads, you totally can. And then finally, the Premier Sword Brethren, which is their equivalent, kind of, to, like, Vanguard Fets, but Primaris style. And it's one of the few Primaris units where they can take Power Mauls, Power Axes, Thunder Hammers, stuff like that. And it's basically just, like, an Assault Veteran Elite Squad. Three up armor, two wounds each, three attacks... I think Blade Guard veterans would generally be a better choice. Although 22 models versus or 22 points a model versus as of this codex, which has probably been updated. Um, 
yeah, Blade Guard are way more expensive, like 35 points a model. So yeah, par- Premier Sword Brethren are a cheaper option to give you something similar. They won't be as resilient, but they can actually also take a very varied list of weapons. So not necessarily a bad choice. And again, this is an army that's going to really want a lot of assaulty, mm-hmm. assaulty, assaulty stuff. Well, and and you can, you know, the nice thing is you can take both. You can you can take those and you can take Blade Guard veterans to have a, a yes. heavier melee unit. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, let's look, let's look at stratagems. Uh, stratagems, there like there's a couple. Some of these are up have been updated from War of the Spider. I'm not going to get into the updates themselves. Let's look at them as they are presented here and just focus on that. Um, there's devout push. This is a one CP strat that lets you at the start of the fight phase target a Black Templar core or character unit from your army. And then either if it's not in engagement range of an enemy unit, it can move up to three inches as a normal move. It must end the move either closer to the closest enemy unit or closer to the closest objective marker. So being able to get an extra three inches to push you back towards an objective could actually be really good. Like either you... Uh, overextended yourself. I've seen somebody suggest using it to like do kind of a basic jump shoot jump. Like I'm going to move out of cover. Like there's an objective where I'm within cover or hidden from line of sight. I'm going to move out three inches on my turn, shoot, and then use devout push to fall back to it without falling back. So black uh, Templars are the new Tau. Everything's the new Tau except for Tau. Kind of. Yeah. Or if the units within engagement range of any enemy units make a pile and move with that unit, which could just be used to move more people into engagement range. So that can be handy as well. See, Vicious Repost basically says on a five, like every time a model in one of your Black Templar's core units is destroyed on a de- on a five up, uh, they do a mortal wound back to the unit they're fighting. Crusader's Wrath. If Assault Doctrine is active for your army, you use it in the command phase. Until the start of your next command phase, each time a Black Templar's model from your army uh, makes a ma- attack with a pistol or melee weapon, uh, the AP improves by one on a wound roll of six, cumulative with the Assault Doctrine bonus. So, like, it's once per game strat. I don't know if I ever need th- that much AP necessarily if I'm already getting the benefit from the Assault doctrine but i suppose extra ap is always good yeah it's two cp though two cp for it does affect your entire army which is nice also does not interact with the vows because there's like that accept any challenge no matter the odds which says uh you know regardless if an enemy if you've got a unit with an engagement range then it gains the bonus of the assault doctrine regardless of which one is active this wouldn't apply to that before turn three. Right. Because it, it specifies that Assault Doctrine has to be active. So it's a it's a mid to late game stratagem to bump your AP up by one for two CP. It's it's a maybe. On the other hand, they have one for two CP called Bombastic Delivery, which says uh, you select a chaplain who's about to recite a litany. Uh, it just automatically goes off. And they can recite an additional one this phase. So not only do they automatically cast it effectively, they can still do another one too. So it's like they get a free one that automatically goes off. That one's really solid. <laughs> they can give, let's see, uh, we see a lot of these where they can give sergeants or sword brothers re- like some of the relics. They can give them an extra warlord trait. 
in the army. They can uh, champion of the feast. I like this one. Select a Black Templar's model from your army that has the word sergeant or sword brother in their profile. Add one to their attacks and wounds and improve their weapon skill by one. So you can basically make one of your sword, like one of your sergeants, a mini character, which is kind of cool. Um, they have Abhor the Witch, which they've had since stratagems were a thing where they ignore, like, they can shut off a psychic power on a, they can deny psychic power on a four up. Tenacious Assault is where they play the witch trick of on a four up, you can't fall back from me unless the unit can fly. So that's one place where Tau have one up on them. You can't catch crisis suits that way. Um, Strength of Conviction. Uh, this one's actually pretty cool. You choose, Use a stratagem in your command phase. Select a Black Templar's core unit from your army until the start of your next command phase. It has objective secured. So your that unit of Blade Guard veterans or Terminators is now objective secured for a turn. Nice. So like if I like it's and it lasts until your next command phase. So it goes through your opponent's turn too, which means you might be able to shut down your opponent from scoring points for like controlling more objectives for a turn. Or it might get you points for holding, you know, like it, it just, it's, it's a, a stratagem that lets you disrupt your opponent's plans. That's actually really solid. Uh, shock and awe. It's always nice to see land Raider, land Raider stuff because land Raider crusaders, while they don't work with any of the Primera stuff are still kind of a very black Templar thing. Um, this one lets you uh, disembark a unit after the Land Raider Crusader they were in has already moved, which normally you can't. Now, they can't move further. They just get their, their disembark, but they can't move again this phase, but they can still charge because that's in a different phase. So move up your Land Raider 12, use this to disembark, get that extra movement from disembarking, and then be able to charge. Something we haven't been able to do out of uh, Land Raiders for a long time, so it's kind of cool to see that. Nice. Uh, and then the uh, like last one really of note is Exemplars of the Crusade lets your Sword Brothers do uh, extra hits when they roll hit rolls of six. But for Sword Brethren units, so it'd have to be on like the Premier Sword Brethren. And then uh, our secondaries, uh, Purge the Enemy, Bathe Your Blade in the Blood of Your Foe. This is very character focused. At the start of your first command phase, you select a Black Templar's character model from your army. To issue the challenge, and your opponent must select one character model from their army to accept the challenge. If either player does not have a character model, they must select the. They must instead select their warlord. Score five victory points at the end of the battle for each of the following conditions that have been achieved. The model that accepted the challenge was destroyed. The model that accepted the challenge was destroyed by the result of a melee attack. And the melee, the model that accepted the challenge was destroyed as the result of a melee attack made by the model that issued the challenge. So if you just kill the model, that's still at least five points. If you kill him in melee, ten. If you kill him with the character that issued the challenge, fifteen. If you're packing somebody like Helbrecht or the Emperor's Champion who is like going to be really good at killing characters, that's actually pretty solid. If you're not going to be doing that, then I would not take that one. But it's also not action-based, so uh, it's, a, it's a good strategy even if you have accept any challenge no matter the odds. 
Under Battlefield Supremacy, we've got Allow Not the Worship of Unclean Idols. This is a progressive objective. Score four victory points at the end of the battle round if you control one or more objectives that were controlled by your opponent at the start of the battle round. And a Black Templar's Chaplain unit from your army is within range of that objective marker. Uh, That's a couple of moving pieces that are going to make this one a bit harder to manage because you have, it has to be an objective you took that turn and there has to be a chaplain nearby. That seems like a big ask Mm -hmm. because it's also either going to require, I mean, in, in black Templar style, it would encourage you to keep pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward. And you only have to do it three turn. Well, four turns to max out three turns will get you 12. So that's four objectives you have to, take from your opponent which means you're either having to like kind of start on the back foot and then take objectives take objectives take objectives or take one and then kind of let them have it back and then take it again and then let them that one's i don't know if i like that one yeah and then finally no mer- under no mercy no respite we have carry out your vows this is both a progressive and an end game you can select this secondary objective if you have selected any Templar vows, which you don't have to, technically. You should always, but you don't have to. <laughs> um, the objective consists of a progressive and an endgame component. You can only score victory points for the endgame component for the Templar vow that was selected at the end of the read mission briefing step, and not any other vows that are selected during the battle. So, like, if you use that chaplain litany to let somebody else fall under a vow, that one doesn't count. It's only the one you picked at the beginning of the battle. So, the progressive is you score four victory points at the end of the battle round if the number of enemy units destroyed by melee attacks made by Black Templar units from your army is greater than the number of friendly Black Templar units that were destroyed during the battle round. You can score a maximum of 12 victory points during the battle from this component. So, in th- at least to max out in at least three rounds, you have to kill in melee more stuff than they kill of yours total. And then the endgame component is you score three victory points at the end of the battle if any of the following apply. If you took Suffer Not the Unclean to live, then the enemy warlord model has to be destroyed by a melee attack made by a Black Templar's character unit from your army during the battle. So basically, if you take this one and if you take Suffer Not the Unclean to live, you can double dip with Bathe bathe Your Blade in the Blood of Your Flow. Um, If you took Uphold the Honor of the Emperor, which is a very, very good one... A Black Templar's infantry unit from your army that is not below half strength was in the enemy deployment zone at the end of the battle. Depending on how you take it, that doesn't seem like that hard to to pull off. Uh, Also, excluding character units. So you can't just have, like, the Emperor's Champion run up and, like, I did it. Um, The uh, Abhor the Witch, Destroy the Witch says... uh, that vow was selected before the battle, and enemy any enemy psyker character units were destroyed during the battle. Uh, that one's like an almost auto-take if you take Abhor the Witch, Destroy the Witch. And then, accept any challenge no matter the odds vow was selected before the battle, and an enemy unit with a starting strength of 20 or more models, or an enemy unit with a wound characteristic of 20 or more was destroyed during the battle. That one you only take if your opponent is taking huge blobs or knights. <laughs> I mean, like, because there's really not much else that would fall under that. It's like, an, and like, if you if you take accepting challenge them out of the odds, and your opponent is playing MS, you don't take this secondary objective <laughs> because it, you will you will you will never max it out. 
But if you take like if you're using a Horror the Witch, Destroy the Witch, I would absolutely take this one because you will probably handle them quite well and max that out. So they're interesting. I will say flavor wise, they all fit Templars very well. I just don't think that Battlefield Supremacy one is any good. Yeah, definitely seems like it'd be the trickiest to make work. Right. And then finally, uh, the Combat Patrol is um, a Crusader squad, like the new Premier's Crusader squad, the new Marshall model. Like when I first saw this, I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty much the army box, except instead of an Emperor's Champion and a Redemptor Dread, you then get a a five-man Intercessor squad and a uh, Impulsor. Yeah, like having a having a dedicated ride for your Primaris uh, is is always good. Not so, yeah. So the Impulsor only being able to hold six. Uh, the Intercessors, you could definitely put the Intercessors in there. Mm-hmm. And they say the Primer. Okay, completing the forest is an Impulsor and transport perfect for moving the Intercessors into the an ideal firing position or bringing the Primaris Crusader squad to the fore. No, it's not. <laughs> It can't do that at all. That's why I was confused. I'm like, wait a minute, but the book says, and they don't have the ability to combat squad either. Yeah, I don't know. I thought, huh, I really thought the Impulsor was more, had a bigger capacity than that. Nah, according to the Codex, it's it's six. Huh. But yeah, so they, they, they recommend a use for the, for the uh, Impulsor that cannot actually be carried out <laughs> with the way the right. rules work. Good job there, but at least you can you could put the uh, the marshal and the uh, intercessors in there. Yeah, now it still has its use. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, as far as point wise and value and stuff like that, it's five hundred one points the way they have it kitted out in the pictures. Uh, it's twenty seven power level. And you get seventeen models. You know, one HQ, two troops, a transport. You know, it's pretty comparable across the board with a lot of the other Space Marine combat patrols. And, you know, uh, for example, let's say that you bought the launch box and you bought the combat patrol when it comes out. That gives you two Crusader squads and then an, an Intercessor squad, a couple captains. And then you could buy... And an um, Emperor's Champion. And an Emperor's Champion. And then you could potentially buy, like, the... Dark Angels Combat Patrol to give you another chaplain. Um, you could buy the Death Watch Patrol to give you another lieutenant and uh, to give you a lieutenant and a, a an apothecary. Um, and then, you know, a f- more intercessors and aggressors to go with it. So, like, this actually does kind of pair pretty well with some of the other combat patrols. Assuming that you're not wanting to lean super heavily in on the uh, Crusader squads, you know, and if you if you're wanting to to lean in on the Crusader squads, you know, two of these could be good, you know, to to get two squads of that, and then and then enough to make an Intercessor ten man squad or two five man squads. So I, I do think this is a pretty solid combat patrol to start off with for this for this army. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to double up, um, with like a like if I didn't get, let's say I didn't have like the army box is a good double up point for this. Another one yes. that I wouldn't, that I think would be a good double up point or that would go pair well with this combat patrol. Let's say I can't, let's say the army box isn't available anymore. It was available for a little while. They still have them in stores. Like I, they had them at the GW store when yeah. I was there yesterday, 
But uh, the Dark Angels one is also a good match. It has it yes. has a Redemptor Dread. Um, it has a Chaplain, which is, I think, one of the big things. Yep. And then uh, a five-man Intercessor Squad and the... Uh, and then three um, Inceptors, which are a nice, aggressive, uh, you know, kind of close shooty use, mm-hmm. you know, unit. So, yeah. And so I think that wouldn't be a bad combo either, because, like, yeah. getting a chaplain would be very good. Oh, so the, the other combat patrols, like, the Blood Angels combat patrol isn't terrible, except for the fact that it comes with the librarian that you can't use. But, like, Correct. a unit of infiltrators and another unit of intercessors and aggressors and another impulsor, like, that's a good way to build out this army, too, if you don't mind the fact that you just can't use the chap- the librarian. Right. And unfortunately, I, I really wish that they hadn't made that uh, hero, like, that new Heroes of the Imperium set so ridiculously overcosted for, like, the stuff from... Uh, indomitus because they do list that under like the black templars entry and yeah the honored of the chapter it's 140 bucks which is stupid but it gives yeah. you like three blade guard vets gives you a uh, a blade guard ancient the judicar and a chaplain i'm like man that would be really good but 140 dollars for one two three four five six seven eight nine models that aren't even a playable <laughs> unit, yeah. you know, army or unit or anything like they're not really usable well by themselves it's like that's so bad yeah but there's <laughs> no way to make them or they haven't made them available separately because of how they're on the sprue but right yeah the black templars army set is actually still available on their website and not even marked as available web only so uh i, I mean i walked into a um i went to a couple game stores this weekend just to to Mostly picking up D and D stuff because the Fizzbin's Dragon Book came out this week, and both stores that I looked at had multiple copies of the Templars box set still. Yeah, so considering that the if you're going to start Templars, considering that the Army box includes the Codex supplement, which is going to be a forty dollar book on its own. Um, yeah, and it includes like the the stratagem cards and everything. I mean, I would definitely look at picking that up and then I could, if it didn't have the, the, the one thing is like doubling up on captains. Cause you can't have two captains in the same detachment. That That's the thing that's like, Oh, but if I buy the combat patrol, mm-hmm. I'm basically just buying a, a crusade squad and an impulse. It's like I, the impulsor doesn't quite fit with the rest of what this wants to do. I can't use the other character. So that's when I would lean at, like, look into, like, the Dark Angels Combat Patrol or something yeah. to give you, like, I think a second Dread would actually fit this very well. And then having a, a lot or having a chaplain in there. And then whether you use the Inceptors or not, but, like, the Inceptors are not a bad choice for this either. So, yeah, uh, that that's kind of where I would land on on building. But, like, for right now... Um, we don't have a combat patrol out yet. It probably won't be out until like late November anyway. So, uh, buy the army set. Don't, but I wouldn't yeah. buy two of the army set. Yeah. Cause you can't use two emperor's champions. You can't use, you really can't use two marshals very well. So buy one and then 
yeah like i said dark angels is probably the the best one because yeah like you said blood angels you don't you can't use the librarian um yeah the the death watch one is an interesting one because it gives you a couple of extra characters um but i don't know if they're as useful as like the chaplain you get in the dark angels one right um like you get the yeah, you get the what an apothecary and a lieutenant and a lieutenant yeah the, the lieutenant's not bad you may want to hold off until the castellan comes out and decide sure. if you want that yeah. that model um the space marine the combat patrol space marines is really leans heavily on like the phobos armor which is fine i just don't think thematically the stealthy marines yeah. fits the black templar style um, the Space Wolf one is also more sc- scouty, sneaky because it's got like the Invictor suit and mm-hmm. the 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 special reavers, and also like all the special bits in there are going to be very Space Wolfy. So yeah. again, not necessarily the best fit. Yeah, that's. I mean, Dark Angels is probably the best one, and other than the fact that he doesn't have his power sword like chained to his wrist. The sergeant they have for the Black Templars one already has like, you know, he has a like a special sword and everything. If you just put on the right shoulder pad on him, he'd look fine. It seems like um, because they did announce a a really awesome Black Templar like upgrade sprue. And it seems to me like looking at the pictures of the combat patrol that that sprue is included. Because, like, the Impulsor has, like, the sword across the front. And stuff right. Like that. Yeah. So, if that's the case, and that is included, you will have more than enough bits to take, like, that Combat Patrol Dark Angels and Black Templar them up. Right. Yeah, because I know that, like, they mentioned, like, the upgrades, the upgrade sprue will also actually include, like, some of the relics. Like, there will actually mm-hmm. be bits for the relics, which is one of the few times they've done that. Okay, here we go. The upgrades and transfers. Um, yes, it does include a multi-melta, like I said, like, you know, for strapping onto the vehicles. And looks like mostly neophyte stuff, but yeah, you should be able to, yeah, if you had this, you should be able to trick out one of those sergeants pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of the, the upgrades are made to go with, like, like special upgrades that go with like the the chaplain and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I think that's where I would go. Is like when when that upgrade sprue comes out, if you like buy the army box now to get to get the uh like the codex supplement and the cards and the marshal and emperor's Ch- champion and everything and then buy one of those upgrades and transfer boxes and the dark angels combat patrol. And I think that will give you a nicely fleshed out. Cause then you can do like, you can, you'll have a crusade squad and then like, a, you'll be able to put together a, well, so you'll have a five man intercessor squad and then two redemptor dreads and uh chaplain emperor's champion marshal. That'll be a good start. And that should get you close to a thousand points. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you'll have the Inceptors as well. So, yeah, it's like that's and they'll have like the the special shoulder pads for like the Gravis. So even your Inceptors will have like the right shoulder pads and everything. So that if you combine those two, it's one thousand and one points the way they're there. The you go. Pitted out 
kitted out on the box. <laughs> so you could tweak that a little bit, like change right. one piece of war gear and you'll have a thousand point army out of yeah. those two. And then it's just like add assault and transport options and maybe a, a, another I'd add probably another mm-hmm. crusade squad and stuff like that to taste. But yeah, that'd be a really good start for a thousand point army. And and that's the Black Templars. I mean, they they are I would say they're kind of a one trick pony. Like if you know, we've talked about like, you know, Space Wolves tend to lean more assaulty, Blood Angels tend to lean more assaulty. Black Templars are like all in on assault. I mean, that that's what they're gonna be. They're going to be an assault army. They are going to you know, they're they have the potential to be a very strong, dedicated anti-psyker army, which as we see Grey Knights and Thousand Suns starting to climb their way up the competitive lists, Black Templars will be an in- interesting uh, foil to that. And again, I know there's a number of competitive players who kind of just like we're looking at what you can do with Grey Knights, looking at what you can do with Black Templars. And I know, like, for example, Ben Cherwin is a huge Black Templars fan and has been mm. for years. So I imagine he is very excited to see what he can do with this. So, yeah, so I like I loved playing Black Templars back in the day, even though, like I said, some of the uh, implications of the army, it's like the army fluff itself are a little little. Yeah, Um, the uh, as an army, they, they are a lot of fun. They didn't always do well in older editions because those edition, you know, shooting went won the day over assault for several editions. But I think in ninth edition, they have the potential to actually really, with the smaller table size, more terrain, if they can weather some of the alpha strikes that will come their way, they can put some serious hurt on uh, a number of these armies, theoretically, that have been doing well. So it'll be interesting to see what Black Templars do once they really hit the competitive scene in earnest. And that takes us to uh, hobby progress. Um so I have I haven't painted anything yet, but I have been building stuff and buying stuff to like upgrade some of my sister's stuff into plastic. I I built the penitent engine. F- so I, last time I think I had my Paragon Warsuits built. I built the penitent engine from the army box, and then I bought a box of two more. So I have a unit of three, so I can re- I can retire my metal ones because those things are just well. A the bases are bigger. So to be absolutely legal game wise, I, I wanted to swap to the smaller ones. Plus those metal models are a nightmare to transport and hope they don't f- come apart in pieces. So I'm much happier with these new plastics. And then I, I, I picked up a unit of retributors, which I haven't put together yet. And then I still have a unit of, I have another unit of Zephyrim to build. I've got to, build the seraphim from the army box and do hand swaps so I can give them a couple of hand flamers. And then um, I, my dragon forge bases came in my 28 mils for my repentia. So I went ahead and picked up a box of repentia. And so that gets me up to a unit of nine and a sister repentant or mistress of repentance, or I guess repentia superior now. So I've got unit nine and then I've got the four and Repentia superior from the army box. So on eBay, I tracked down five more, like another set of four from the army box. And then like one from like a blind bag set. So I will have two units of nine plus Repentia superiors to put on the, on those bases. So I'll have, I'll have those all in plastic now because the plastic sculpts are also just more dynamic and, and better than the old metal ones. So I don't mind replacing them. 
And uh, then Bellacore's next. I got a Bellacore to build and paint, so so that will be that will be the next thing. But I think I have all the oh, and I picked up a Palatine yesterday. They're finally back in stock, so I will have like all the sister stuff that I've wanted to buy and build for the new set, you know, like for the new model line. Except, well, I take it back. There's one thing left that I haven't picked up. The triumph. But, no, I actually don't want the triumph. Um, okay. Partially, I mean, the Triumph is a beautiful kit, but yes. a it's intimidating as hell. Uh, like I are like I I allow myself one crazy model like that a year, and that this year that was a Marathi. So, so give it a couple months. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> no, the other, the other thing I'm yeah, but no, and also I don't know if the Triumph is a like it might be temporarily sold out right now. I'm not sure. But um, oh, well, let me the know. Cast- There's one of the local game store here. Oh, don't don't do this to me! Don't do this to okay. me. Okay, I, I didn't do that to you. Yay. I mean, if people want to send in money through Patreon to help, it. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends, does it? It nope. never ends with this group. Okay, um, it's available no, on the then, website right now. Okay, so it is still available. See, I was telling myself it wasn't because it would have saved me the trouble. Oh, but fair. it's in um, stock. It's in stock for you right uh, now. But Call no, the other. Name. But no, the Castigator, the new tank. That's the one I have. Yeah. Like I've I've thought about it. They have they've had one on on the shelves at the GW store the last couple of times I've been. But it's also like it's an eighty dollar tank, and I'm like I've got other things I'm picking up, especially with me just having ordered the Chalmuth box. I'm like I'm good for right now. But yeah, <laughs> but it's it is tempting, but I haven't done it yet. But that is what I have done. I was finally able to pick up my um, more. Uh, Sacrosense, yeah, Celestine Sacrosense, the the Mace Melee Sisters. Uh, so I picked up two more boxes of those, um, and I'm finally got all my bases for like my Paragon War suits and other things uh, ready to go. So yeah, I've been working on building sisters, and uh, I think I mentioned last time, but I think I've hammered out a paint scheme that I that I like. Um, so I'll start hopefully being able to work on that later this month is it gonna match like robin mine's colors no i'm actually um so uh turbo dork makes a uh makes a really cool like metallic purple called people eater so i'm gonna use that as like the basis and then um i'm trying to remember what uh because there's a there was a uh uh bolter and chainsword has a sister like template painter so you can like try out different hex codes and paint paint schemes and stuff on their uh, image provide, which is pretty cool. Basically, it's going to be p- purple and I believe uh, white and red as some of the accents. So okay, so so purple, white, and red as opposed to my purple, white, and gold, and Rob's white and bone. Yeah, bone and purple. So we're all doing yeah. purple in some some fashion or other, <laughs> right? Although maybe I might have to use that metallic purple if I do some knights next year, Kev. Yeah, no, it's a really cool color. Um and Turbo Dork makes makes good stuff. So um yeah, I'm excited to get it get everything built and then um I will get working on you know, break out the airbrush and and start Oh, here we go. Found it. Um yeah, purple uh purple, silver, and red was the color scheme that I'm kinda going for. So he only matches us with the purple. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's uh that's what I've been working on. 
Well, then I'll continue our sister's trend here. Um, because I decided I wanted to try something slightly different for the U.S. Open, and I had more sister's models I hadn't put together, I'd been working on that. They got all together. They got all primed. Um, I've been busy painting them. I have about half of them done. And the goal is to get them painted this week, so the next week I can do basing and then have a week to rest before heading out there. Nice. So, but having a week to rest, you're not going to be painting right up until the end. <clears throat> no, <Who> are you? <laughs> no, I'm trying to get things done earlier, and it is, it's a great time for painting in my mind because I mean, I, I like to paint with sports ball on in the background, and we've got the World Series going on. There's football on both Saturdays and Sundays, so it, it's easy times to find time to just zone out to paint while sports ball is in the distraction in the background. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, and with my work schedule, uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do stuff, but I have actually managed to at least get assembled uh, 10 of my 20 Beast Snackaboys, um, and am looking to pick up another 20 so that it gives me options for how I can run units of them. That's all I've done. And sometime on like a Sunday or something, you are going to have to come by and get all the orc stuff that I have for you, too. Yes. Yes, I do. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Yep. Let's see. And then as this is Halloween, um, normally I would say like for the morale phase, uh, it would be be like we would talk about something came out recently like perhaps the new dune movie that's come out uh which is interesting um i I liked it i felt that the my biggest problem with it was the sound mixing is really bad and i saw it on hbo max a friend of ours saw it in theaters and we both agreed the sound mixing was really bad but otherwise it was a perfectly enjoyable movie and a good adaptation thus far of the book but uh instead i want to talk about a project that my partner and i did over this last month which was we decided for the and i'm not sure what put the idea in her mind but she wanted to go with it and i thought it was cool is we did a uh we did a project called undead october where we basically put together a list of vampire zombie and ghost movies to watch uh, a movie a day every day for the month of October. Unfortunately, because of like the week where, you know, like our kid got sick and then we got sick and then like uh, other days where just stuff came up or schedules didn't work out. We weren't able to watch a movie every day, but we still got over halfway through the list. And we decided like once we were like halfway through the month and we're like, yeah, this is not panning out quite as well as we would have hoped. We decided to shift the focus to movies we had not yet seen. So um, so we did ended up skipping a few of our favorites. Like I didn't get to watch Interview with the Vampire. We didn't get to we did. There were a couple that we did like we didn't watch what we do in the shadows or Shaun of the Dead because we you know, we've seen those. But we did manage to catch a number uh, of good horror movies. Uh, and then a couple that I was a little like movies I hadn't seen that I ended up being kind of disappointed in. Um, so just a quick rundown of some of the ones I've seen. Um, we started off with The Hunger, which kind of a classic, considered a classic early 80s vampire film with David Bowie in it. Um hmm. 
very, very artsy to the point where the artsiness got in the way of the storytelling. And the logic kind of fell apart in the last, like the last act of the film. But uh, it, it was interesting. I don't know if I would recommend it, but it, w- it was okay. It was actually directed by the guy who would eventually direct um, Top Gun. Did not feel at all like huh. that. <laughs> but yeah, it was a Tony Scott production. Okay, so yeah, we saw The Hunger. Uh, we finally watched Dead Snow, the uh, yeah the Norwegian Nazi zombie movie, which like started off as kind of like normal like young adults partying being murdered by something film and then kind of con- turned into like a completely over the top horror comedy. Yeah, it it was it's an interesting one. I enjoyed that one. And there's a, there's a sequel that like just keeps going in that over the top direction that is almost even better, I think. Hmm. Let's see. We watched uh, Let Me In, which is the English version of the, again, like Scandinavian uh, vampire movie, Let the Right One In. But from what, yeah. like, I checked it out beforehand, like, should we, which one should we watch? Because a lot of times an American version may not be as good or quite hit the right notes as mm-hmm. the original. But from, like, everything I saw, they're like, the difference is... There, one's in English and one isn't. Like they're, they're really, right. really close. They they are very yeah. similar. Yeah, the director of the original obviously didn't want an American version done. Uh, but as soon as he saw it, he's like, "Oh no, this is this is very good." Um, and it's Matt Reeves directed it. Uh, who's direct? Who directed uh, the last two Planet of the Apes movies, and then is directing the Batman, uh, which comes out next okay. year. So yeah, I was Matt Reeves I was is a very really good director. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really good. We really enjoyed that one. Something this one it was the one we had watched before, but we hadn't watched it in a long time. Uh Bram Stoker's Dracula does not hold up well. <laughs> it it is it is not a good movie. I remember seeing and like both of us like we remember seeing this in theaters in the nineties when we were like young, and it's just like, oh man, this is so cool. We watch we go back and watch it again. It's like, oh, oh, this is really bad and heavy handed <laughs> and not good at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, a lot more nudity in that movie than I remembered. <laughs> Not that that's necessarily a problem, but it's just like, wow, there was just a lot more just completely gratuitous nudity than I remember there being in most 90s films at the time, especially a Francis Ford Coppola kind of artsy vampire movie. Um, Let's see. Uh, Reanimator. This one was just stupid cult classic <laughs> undead fun with jeffrey yeah. combs who is in fantastic in everything he does so reanimator is the single best lovecraft adaptation i think and it's not even like particularly close to the original story it's just it's so good <laughs> it's it's stupidly fun it's yeah <laughs> um let's see uh uh other movies yeah here's the week that we missed but um we did watch uh, we uh, we watched Vampires vs. the Bronx, which we'd seen before. But if you hadn't seen it, it's a very good kind of urban New York. I don't want to say retelling or even homage, but it's kind of in the 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 vein. Pardon the pun of uh, the Lost of Lost Boys, which we did also watch during this. But uh, it is that same thing of like 
like young teenagers find out that vampires are infiltrating their neighborhood. But in this case, it's framed as a story about gentrification. Hmm. Like vampires, you know, like message film here, but sucking the life out of the Bronx by basically saying, yeah, all the people who live in the Bronx, you won't be remembered anyway. And we're going to make this place better. And we're going to move in and suck the life out of it and make it like, you know, make it a place for us. So definitely, you know, like I said, message movie, but also just a, a, a fun, interesting take on the, on, you know, like that young, young people versus vampires trope. Um, we did watch the 90s version, like the 90s remake of Night of the Living Dead, which also very, very close to the original, but with a slightly different ending. Yeah. But I think it holds up well. I think I think it was still pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 one of it's actually one of my favorite. It It's one of the earliest zombie movies I remember seeing. Mm hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, Fright Night, the original like 1980s Fright Night. How did this spawn a remake? It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> like it got a remake with like Anton Yelchin and David Tennant and uh, what Colin Farrell. Yeah, I believe and, so. And it's it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's so it's a good premise. It's not a bad premise. It's just poorly executed. I. Now, granted, I have not seen this movie in probably 20 years. Um, I remember, like, remembering it being a good movie, but I also have not watched it. I remember it in a long Bram Stoker's time, so. Dracula being a good movie. And right. It is yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm, I have no doubt that you're, you're correct that it's not a good movie, but there's, there's also some movies, like, that I saw, like, as a child, whatever, that, like, you know, kind of hold that place. And I'm like, I don't know that I ever need to go back and rewatch them because my memory is, going to hold up better than the film itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the Fog, uh, the John Carpenter, like 1979, like ghost movie. Um, interesting plot. You could tell it was done on a real tight budget, but it was, it was an interesting ghostly revenge story. I thought it was fine. There was a remake in the early two thousands. And from what I understand, also not a good remake, but I think the original story was the original story was fine. It could have used a bit more polish, but like Carpenter, like was really starting to hit his stride as a director. And, you know, he had done Halloween at this point. And mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, he did this actually around the same time that he or like this is what led into him doing Escape from New York. And then he also did The Thing around the same, you know, in like the early 80s. So he's really hitting his stride at this point, And I think it holds up pretty well. Um, let's see. Uh, Little Monsters. This one came recommended by a friend to add to the list. And I'm glad they did. Uh, uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. Little Monsters. Uh, it's a, a zombie film that takes place in Australia and involves a deadbeat uncle. Not even a deadbeat dad. A deadbeat uncle who gets roped into uh, accompanying a kindergarten trip to a local like zoo and nature park because he's got the hots for the kindergarten teacher. And it turns into a zombie, not apocalypse film, but a zombie attack movie as zombies get released from a nearby U.S. Army testing facility, which there are actually U.S. Army facilities like covert facilities in Australia. So it's not that far fetched. 
Uh, but zo- like zombies end up, it's like right. The research facility is right next to this nature park. And so the zombies are assaulting the nature park while the kids are there. And it's all, not only is it about protecting the kids and keeping them safe, but keeping them from knowing that they're any real mortal danger too. <laughs> from, from these zombies. Also, Josh Gad plays a children's like TV host who who it gets roped into the entire scenario and I think he enjoyed this role so much because I get the impression he hates being the voice of Olaf at this point from Frozen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's a very uh Rainbow Randolph kind of uh, yes. role. <laughs> yes. That that he plays that that is is pretty great. It plays out really well. Um, I was amused by the not a Hemsworth, like, uh, slacker, you know, uncle. Uh huh. He was very, very well, like, it was amusing. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And it was probably one of the, it is probably one of the sweetest zombie comedies I've ever seen. Like, it actually has heart. Like, it's, it's a yeah. very sweet little film. I honestly think I enjoy it more as a comedy than Shaun of the Dead. Just a little bit. It's it's really close, but it, this one was... And it might just be because this one is more fresh in my head, but I did really mm. enjoy this one. Yeah. Um, another one we had... Uh, we had seen before, but had been a while, and we rewatched was The Frighteners. Which... Uh, yeah. um, okay, so The Frighteners is fun in and of itself, um, it's it's an okay film. It's not a fantastic film, but it, it's good. And it's this interesting like conversion spot between Peter Jackson before the Frighteners, when he was mostly known for doing just utterly gross, gross out oddball horror comedy pieces like Dead Alive or Meet the Feebles or stuff like that, and the Peter Jackson we know who did Lord of the Rings. And if you watched The Frighteners and realized that it came out around the time that production was really starting on Lord of the Rings, you would be like, okay, so who greenlit giving the the hardest to film fantasy epic of all time to the guy who did this? Because it does like you don't get any sense of like this is even a thing he could do. Well, like my favorite example of just like completely like Gonzo next projects or like change between projects is uh, George Miller. Uh, who did Babe, Pig in the City, uh, while also doing the Mad Max movies. And he has been quoted, like, when he was doing the press runs and stuff for Babe, he's like, oh, yeah, I've had this, this story's been in my head for, like, the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and I've been, you know, actively working on a script for 10 years, which means during the production of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, he would leave the set, go into his trailer, and work on the script for Babe, which is just mind-blowing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he also do Happy Feet, too? Yes. Yeah, he also did Happy Feet. <laughs> but, like, just... just and then so Mad Max much- Fury Road, you know, just because. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, yeah, like, it, it's super weird to think of someone like Peter Jackson, like... That somebody could watch like the Frighteners and be like, you know, what he really needs to do next? We need to give him four hundred million dollars to make a Lord, of- the definitive Lord of the Rings remake. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, because it, it's like you can't see that filmmaker coming out of that film. But right, I mean, I'm glad uh, they did. But man, that must have been a hell of a pitch, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> also, uh, more Jeffrey Combs in this one, chewing on the scenery and having yep. a lot of fun. So uh, he's so good in everything. <laughs> yeah, this, I don't think I've ever seen anything bad that he's done. See, the next one that we we saw that we hadn't hadn't seen before, Train to Busan, which is a uh, Korean ooh, zombie film. Yeah, yeah it's like, real good. Fast zombie, fast infection, and also lots and lots of messages about sh- social stratification and how people like look down on each other based on class. Um, but yeah. uh, very fantastic. And one of the things we noted about it was for one thing, there's some really neat, neat things in there with the idea that zombies have really bad night vision. And so like, there's this whole thing with like when the train's going through, cause the conceit is they're trapped on a, on a bullet train while a zombie apocalypse is happening in Korea and an infected person gets on the train right before they leave. And now the infection spreads like wildfire through the train. And so these people are trapped. And at one point, like they get to, they get separated cause they like, they stop somewhere that is supposed to be safe. They get, they get off the train and then they have to get back on the train and they, they kind of get separated between, but there are cars that are full of zombies between the survivors and they have to like get through while the train's going through a tunnel because the zombies can't see them when it's dark. So that that was really cool to see. But utterly tragic as most good zombie apocalypse movies are. But it does have kind of a bittersweet happy ending. Um, yeah. But also I thought it was interesting that the zombies, like the way the zombies behave are a little bit different than you see in a lot of Western zombie movies. They were these zombies were like very kind of like twitchy and bitey as opposed to like more of like the kind of the slower like groping zombies we see in a lot of other zombie films. Mm -hmm. I like seeing a lot like what other cultures do with things like zombies or these other monsters. Like it's just very, very interesting to see like what they create because a lot of our, you know, Western cultural idea and concept of zombies was formed by like Romero and, and certain movies and stuff. And if you don't have that same foundation, like how do you do it differently? Like where do you take zombies cinematically? And uh, uh, yeah, train to Busan is, is really good. Uh, There was a sequel that came out last year called Peninsula that I was supposed to get a theatrical release. And then obviously, you know, a plague hit, so I don't know if it's available in the United States yet, but like that's it, it, one it that is. I'm really excited for. Is it, it okay? It is. I, I've I've picked it up and I have watched it, and it is it is another instance of like it takes the same like story, kind of like Dead Snow, and then it just like keeps ramping it up because <laughs> because <laughs> it is it is set uh you know years after train to Busan. So like, uh, uh, essentially the Korean peninsula is abandoned and, you know, still has a bunch of zombies in it. And it has almost kind of that same, uh, storyline as that, that new Netflix Zack Snyder zombie movie. Oh, the army of the dead, the the army of the dead where, there there's like a big score that that you can like that somebody wants to go in and send a team after to to like get money and mm-hmm. get out but like 
you know, they have to deal with zombies. And so, like, beyond that basic premise, it doesn't, like, share really anything in common with that movie. So, uh, okay, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I watched Army of the Dead and it, it wasn't terrible but like yeah it wasn't it wasn't but yeah it was fun but yeah it wasn't a particularly good movie i wouldn't say (laughs) (laughs) which which is a shame because like you know i i don't like a lot of Zack snyder's stuff i mean i think his take on watchman was fine it was was actually pretty good i didn't like didn't care for sucker punch i haven't cared for any of the stuff he's done in the dc universe but i I, really liked i liked dawn of the dead yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was yeah. I really liked his take on Dawn of the Dead, and so um, I was kind of disappointed that Army of the Dead ended up being not very good. But uh, but Dawn of the Dead, which was like I remember when he first did Fast Zombies, and it was like oh you know people were like oh that's heresy, you can't have Fast Zombies in a movie, and it showed that a it worked, and then Train to Busan kind of takes that and runs with it hard, and it's like oh no, Fast Zombies right. are terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, another one we watched, which I think was, it felt like almost a hybrid zombie vampire movie because it had kind of that feel of zombie apocalypse, but with vampires was 30 days of night. Uh, yeah, that one was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I liked the fact that the, for the most part, the vampires didn't speak English and they didn't subtitle it. Like, you don't know what the vampires are saying most of the time. And, uh, it did a pretty good job of like showing like how you could get completely isolated and how that would wear on you mentally in all of this. It was based on a comic that was originally pitched as a movie. The movie, it didn't, nobody took the pitch as a movie. So he made it into a comic. It got popular enough as a comic that he repitched it as a movie. And this time it got picked up and it was, (laughs) yeah, it was really good. I liked that one a lot. Yeah. It's been a real long time since I've seen it, but I, I remember really liking it. Yeah. Very, like animalistic vampires too. These are not yeah. neat little bloodsuckers. These guys are just maul you to death and drink drink everything that flows out. And then uh, last two that we caught. Uh, one was a movie that I had seen and is one of my favorites, but my partner had never seen. And that is a a Japanese based ghost film. It's it's it was like a American Japanese hybrid film called The House Where Evil Dwells, which. Um, is actually the one place I found it available streaming without having to to buy it to, or rent it. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus of all places. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, it is now some movies like some of the movies we watched in this, like they're kind of slow burn. They kind of like don't really let you know what's going on. And then there's like, uh, you know, a mid film reveal of everything. Uh, not this film. This film starts out 1840s Japan. This samurai discovers his wife having an affair with his student and murders them and then commits seppuku. And then the next, like, then it flash forwards to the modern day or fast forwards to the modern day. And then uh, it's like this writer and his wife and daughter are moving to Japan and their friend at the local consulate um, helped find them a house. But he got it really cheap because it's supposed to be haunted. And they start having weird ghostly encounters from, like, the first day they're there. And it quickly spirals out of control for them. And there's a lot of things going on with, like, 
the ghosts basic not just like do like they do normal like poltergeist stuff like move stuff around and break stuff and play with the lights and things like that but the ghosts will also like step into their bodies and possess them and make them do things that they wouldn't normally do like the the ghost of the woman who is having an affair steps into the uh steps into the wife's body and like pushes her to like call their friend at the consulate and say, you should come over. I want to sleep with you and gets them into having an affair or the ghost of the, the samurai steps into the dad and it's like, Oh, you won't drink your soup daughter. I'll pour it down your throat because you're refusing to listen to me. It's like, and like just causing like psychological trauma. Uh, the ghost, like one of the ghosts like attacks him while he's like, uh, like photographing uh, like pearl divers and tries to tries to drown, like convinces him to fall into the water and tries to drown him. There's a, a Zen Buddhist monk that tries to help them exercise the house. I'll say that the story doesn't end in a way that implies that worked really well. Uh, but uh, it's got a very, it, it's, it's another one that has a, a very, uh, kind of tragic ending and like the, when the tragic ending happens there's no denouement it's like there's the ending and then credits it's like so this movie does not mess around it's it starts you right off in like yep there's a murder and there are ghosts and then the ghosts do their thing end of movie but it's it's a it is an interesting journey in the interim and then the last one we caught this one last night and it is fantastic it is a very understated reserved movie it's available on netflix and it's called he never died and uh it is basically kind of a vampire film but not not exactly and uh it stars henry rollins as the main character oh right okay yeah i've seen this one i liked it i liked it a lot yeah it is really good he he has a very, like I said, understated and reserved. And one of the reasons he's reserved, basically, I don't like. I don't want to give away the, the he, twist on it. Yeah, but he's he's somebody who he lives a like his life is basically built around. He sleeps. He goes to this diner. He goes to play bingo three nights a week. And that's pretty much all he does. He has this very simple routine he follows. And the reason he follows this routine is because he's trying to keep himself in check the way an alcoholic might try to keep themselves in check by like following a routine and not falling into bad habits. And then a number of events happen involving people he either normally interacts with or somebody like his daughter shows up at one point that he didn't realize he had and uh his life starts to spiral out of control and he falls off the wagon big time yeah uh yeah and there's um there's so there's that there's there's also like mobsters involved so it's kind of a but not exactly vampires against the mafia kind of thing going on and again, I, I don't want to – I can't spoil more than that because because this movie is understated, they don't do the reveal of what's going on until really late in the film. And they it's not a movie that, like, teases a lot of stuff either. Like, 
it it's a it's a slow burn it's a slow build up but it's re- like it's really really good and it was a great movie to kind of finish out the month technically today we're supposed to try to watch cabin in the woods to kind of like finish up the you know it's like it here's the all things horror and halloween movie mm-hmm. but um with like trick or treating and stuff like that tonight i don't know if we're going to get a chance to but if nothing else if we finished out on he never died then that was a a good movie to end on. Yep. Nice. And I'll say I, I actually got an opportunity uh, a couple of weekends ago, had a little mini movie marathon uh, with my sister, um, watched uh, the Halloween 2018 remake, which Uh we had both seen and then watched it. It was streaming on uh, Peacock premium uh, the the new Halloween Kills, mm-hmm. which for uh you know John Carpenter slasher style movie, they are quite good. I uh, they are probably the aside from like the original Halloween, these are probably some of the best like in the sequel lines for Halloween. And so, these two, aren't they, they are considered, like, official sequels to the first Halloween and, like, skips everything else, don't they? Right. They they actually, in fact, Halloween, without, you know, spoiling too much, Halloween 2018 picks up, you know, 40 years after the original Halloween and does pretty much re- disregard all of all of the other, like, sequels. And then Halloween Kills like expands upon that and gives uh kind of a little bit of a, a small peek at like kind of the alternate timeline the like the things that happened a little more explicitly during like the in between time hmm interesting I don't, you know, I don't know if I've ever, like, I've seen bits and pieces of the original Halloween. I don't think I've ever actually seen it, like, sat down and watched it's, it, so. Yeah. It's really good. I was like, maybe I need to do that next year, like, have, like, slasher film, you know, October, and catch up on yeah. some of those. No, the the original Halloween is, like, the archetypical, like, slasher film. Like, it's it's really good. Um, it's very atmospheric. It's very terrifying. And then pretty much every other Halloween movie has been garbage. Um, yeah. except for the two <laughs> new ones. Um, I, and I was, it's going to make a joke. So, uh, compared to Halloween 2, Halloween 2, uh, and the sequel to H2O, is Halloween Kills a better Halloween sequel than the other like eight <laughs> times they've tried to do it? <laughs> Well, <laughs> what a it's stupid convoluted franchise. <laughs> yeah, because um, it is interesting because Halloween 2018, despite like not being labeled Halloween 2, is 2018 is is the new Halloween 2, um, which depending upon how you feel about the original Halloween 2, which a lot of people you know, still think it's one yeah. of the best ones, which it it's is. It's one of the best sequels, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think 2018's better, and and Halloween Kills is definitely a better Halloween three. 
<laughs> well, Halloween 3 barely counts. Cause, yeah. Because <laughs> it was specifically John Carpenter saying, I don't want to make more Michael Myers just, films. I want to do different right. Halloween stories. Right. And no which, one wanted him to do which that. Which would have been terrible. okay if he had done Halloween 2 as something different. Right. <laughs> but I, I get the feeling. Because, like, John Carpenter like left the development of Halloween, the original Halloween two. Cause he just, I think he just got fed up with it and he didn't want to do it anymore. Cause that wasn't what he wanted yeah. to do in the first place for Halloween two. Right. But yeah. And then there's, and then there's the Rob zombie Halloween films, which are ugh. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> awful. Just awful. <laughs> like I don't, it, it is very different movie and it's not very, what you know as a Halloween movie. I think that his first Halloween movie is an interesting slasher movie that's okay. It leans more into being very violent, like yeah, Rob, like Rob Zombie movies tend to do. But overall, I don't think it's an awful movie. But Halloween 2, good lord, that was... I did not like that movie. That one was awful. <laughs> But anyway, I think we've babbled on about how about horror movies long enough. Uh, yeah, but because it is Halloween, I wanted to actually, you know, you know, share what we had done, and I think that was a, I think that's a lot of fun. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, something new. I doubt those new codexes will be out, but we'll figure out something to talk about. So uh, until then, from all of us here, at preferred enemies. I'm your host, Rob, Kevin, Dennis. And Richard. Uh, good night, good gaming, and go see a good scary movie. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.